Okay, episode 140 of Mitch Unfiltered. Happy post-draft to you. Were you glued to your TV? <laughs> I have the same reaction to the NFL draft as I have every single year. Yeah. And it's also the same reaction when I went to a horse racing track for the first time. Do you remember ever, when was the first time you ever went to a horse racing track? Not till later in life, like 22. When, uh... I guess I'm, I'm a little bit strange because... I grew up going to Greyhound races. Yeah. Do they doggy do races. I don't know if thing? they still do the doggy races anymore. There was a dog track in Portland. I've, I used to drive by it, but I've never seen dog races. Oh, you never have? No, never okay. been. I grew oh, up I've literally seen. going okay. to the Palm Beach Kennel Club <laughs> yeah. to see. He's my man. The, the greatest dog I've ever seen race. Won every single time he, he, he raced. Okay. Greatest, the most dominant dog in Palm Beach Kennel Club history. But the reason I bring it up was... You know, a doggy race would happen. It would take like 90 seconds. And then like nine minutes later, the next race started. And so then I come out to, to Seattle and I had never been to a horse race track hmm. before. And I go out to Emerald Downs for the first time. Yeah, that was my first track too. And there's like 25 minutes between races. <laughs> yeah. Right. How long do we need to like numbers and colors and names well I, I don't think it's based on the betters it's probably based on getting the horses ready because i they don't are know alive. i don't know what the horses <laughs> what do they need the horses but I, I remember thinking oh my god i'm gonna have to wait 25 minutes in between every single race the doggies come out yeah. and every nine minutes they're running that's nice yeah. that was the feeling i had at the horse race at emerald downs yeah and i have that same that same phenomenon every time, every year. I think it's going to be different. And then there's just an ungodly amount. What are they doing with the horses between the NFL draft choices? Why do they need so much time between NFL draft choices in the first round? It's a really good question. I do kind of wish they would speed God, it up a bit. Let's go. Yeah, I know. I'm with you. We've been preparing and talking about this for months. Exactly You right. don't know who you want yet? <laughs> right. And why? Why do the Jacksonville Jaguars at number one need 25 minutes? Every year they do it. Why? And the, the Jaguars way- are on the clock? The commissioner says, and then they don't make their pick until the time is about to expire. What exactly have they been doing for the last four years? <laughs> yeah, they've been on the clock since the end of week 17, I right? I don't get yeah, it. Yeah. And it's actually kind of it's, it's risky because what if what if for some reason you just forget to get it in in time? Why, why even risk coming to the end of your time and missing your pick? We have guys in our fantasy football league draft. I know that you don't do that anymore yeah. because Wink Shapiro shooed you away. Oh. But you know, you now, you now. In the old days, you did the picks like you got together. Yeah, it was a social event. You Analog. Got together. Yeah. yeah. Now you do. You go on the computer on ESPN, and there's always those two or three guys <laughs> that wait to the last second to hit <laughs> to click the submit button. Silly, ridiculous. So we have to sit and wait, even though they know exactly who they're picking. Yeah. Uh, it's just. I don't know. Too much time between NFL draft choices. Yeah, that's, that's a all little, I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Little tough. It's a little tough to watch. And then you know your favorite team doesn't pick for three weeks. Right. Exactly. We had to wait like days, yeah. literally almost days, yeah. for the Seahawks to make a pick. Anyway, this is episode 140 of Mitch Unfiltered. We hope that you'll subscribe and you'll, if you're feeling charitable, you'll toss us a five star rating and review on uh, on Apple Podcasts. That helps. I'm Mitch, along with the man. Who thinks that guacamole is made with avocado? Still do, yes. Avocado. Somebody hit us on Twitter and said his wife just said avocado. 
And maybe he never noticed Nobody it. says – his wife doesn't say avocado. You are the only one. No, I don't think so. Wait, is are it you tomato gonna, too? I mean, it's avocado. Don't compare the two. Nobody says avocado. <laughs> Nobody. I've been saying avocado my whole life. Yeah, and you would be number one. <laughs> so you ought to change. Anyway, dear Mitch, love the interview with Leland McCullough, the running back who was in search of his birth parents. You yes. Remember that one? Now, can we talk about that yet? I mean, No. If, okay, all right, all right. Well – I don't want to spoil it, but it's I been- don't know what percentage of the people that are listening to this haven't heard that interview or, or plan to go back. So maybe for the people that do such a great feel good story. My jaw dropped when he found out who his dad was. Same. Great stuff. Gave me chills, brought tears to my eyes. It's a good thing. It wasn't sports related. Huh, Mitch? Love the show. <laughs> Jeff H. The very next email I received. Oh, boy. Hey, Mitch. Really? A football coach looking for his birth parents? That's what you've become? No wonder you're not on radio anymore. <laughs> wow. The- Stuart. We can't, we, just, we can't win. Literally back-to-back oh. emails. Love the interview with Leland McCullough. Jaw dropped when I found out who his dad was. Great stuff. Followed by, is this what you've become? No wonder you're not on radio anymore. All over the same interview. Back-to-back emails. I would love to ask him what he would suggest instead of a cool story like that. What does he want to hear oh, from you? Please don't. What, <laughs> what does he want? I mean, honestly. He wants sports. But the guy's a football coach. I, I know, but it's... Does that count? No, it's not sports. Yeah. That, that's not it trying is kind of sports. But does this guy want, like, up-to-the-minute stats? I don't know what he scores? wants. What does he, he want? He wants spring training results. <laughs> okay, well, he's going to get it, goddammit. I'm reading those again. <laughs> Ryan Amato, not only do I love the non-sports content, Mitch, I probably enjoy it more than the sports content. All right. That's a little shot. It is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they, have, they have trouble just giving compliments often. Of I've course, found. the sports content is what made me a fan of Mitch in the morning in the first place. But sports content in general just seems to become monotonous these days unless it's breaking news or something really amazing. Keep doing what you're doing since you have the freedom to... Ryan Amato. Mitch, love the Seahawks. No table. That's all. Henry. Uh, Mitch, I bet Joe Rogan would know who Cousin Eddie from the movie Vacation is. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me you've never watched Animal House. These films are classics, Mitch. Were you held prisoner in a Florida basement as a kid? They only The only saving grace is your love for Seinfeld. Keep up the good work as I enjoy the podcast. Mike from Walla Walla. I don't even want to ask you about Animal House. I don't think I want to know. Oh, I don't think I've seen it. You're a legacy from Harrisburg. That You don't even get that. I don't know. Oh. Now, you are one to talk because you didn't understand they're real and they're spectacular. True. And I got a lot of emails about how does Hotshot know, not know the real and they're spectacular. But Animal so, House, I mean, come Seinfeld. on. Seinfeld. I was young at Animal House. Yeah, so was I, but I've, I've seen it. I uh, have too. I probably have. I'd like you to tell the others what wasn't I'm about ha- to tell you Wasn't that you guy now. Harold Ramis in it? Harold Ramis? Uh, no, I think he was involved, maybe oh. directing it or... Yeah, I, was there some guy named Belushi in it? I don't know. There was a guy named Belushi. I see. But that, the okay. principal, Dean Warmer, I'd like you to tell the other boys what I'm about to tell you now. You're out, through, finished. Don't know. Nothing. Ugh. All right. No reaction. All right. Donald Sutherland was in it. Oh! Now you have Kiefer's a reaction. Dad? Oh, yes. Kiefer's dad, as a matter of fact, was in it. <laughs> and he gets high with the students. Oh, does he? I don't know if it'll. I don't know if Animal House will. If you haven't seen it, it, it would Max like Animal House? Um, I, what? What a freshman at the University of Washington does it? Does it stand the test of time? That's or not? the thing. I, he grew up in just a kind of a little more wokeish. You know, I, I I don't think he'll laugh at this 
the crude behavior. I, I don't know. He, no, I don't think he'll like it. My little one, my freshman in high school, came to me and said, I want to see Hangover, Dad. Oh, he hasn't seen it. The little one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I figured he would have got that in at some point. He's 15, right? I mean, when you're not around. And so... Jesus, I hope he hasn't seen it. What's the verdict on Hangover? Well, I don't, I don't have any control over what they watch. Oh, you don't? Yeah. Oh, you stop parenting at a certain age. Is that what happens? <laughs> I don't know. Well... I just I, want to know. Just tell me. Well, in the old days, you could police it because you decided what you could... You could take the TV remote away. Yeah. Now you take the TV remote away, you take the computer away, and you have to take the phone away, right. too. And he's got an iPad and there's stashed still, and there's under his mattress. there's probably something yeah, going course. on. <laughs> right. I, I want to pick up the pieces because I'm really proud of myself. I want to pick up the pieces from 139P. You and I spent some time talking about a billion different topics, uh, and we want you to become a patron if you'd like to become a patron. Uh, do so, MitchUnfiltered.com, yep. $5 a month. Great uh, bonus shows. I got some other things up my sleeve for, for Patreon. I got some ideas. But anyway, 139P this past Thursday, I thought was particularly fun because we did a lot of different subjects. And one of the things that I told you, I don't even know how we got onto the topic, is that I believe that I had the first ever <laughs> Oreo milkshake. Which, which is silly because clearly your uncle had it before you. So if you want to say your uncle second. Marvin. Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I guess what I'm proud of is that I feel like I'm old enough to remember when there wasn't Oreo ice cream. Yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. Okay. Because Uncle Marvin, as I told you on 139P, uh, who wasn't my real uncle, but my dad's best friend, may he rest in peace, uh, he, invi he invited us to dinner at Fridays. I don't even know that I knew what a Fridays was. Yeah. I didn't go to him as a kid. We either. went to a Fridays, TGI Fridays. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. In the Crystal Tree. Oh, you found out. All right. The Crystal Tree Shopping Center. <laughs> yes. North Palm Beach. And he said, Mitchie, I want you to try this. I, and I think it was the late 70s. I said to you on 139P, I believe it was the 70s, somewhere in the mid to late 70s, because I think I was probably 11 or 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a taste of something that Friday's called an Oreo milkshake. And I was like, this is the, th this is, I don't know what other things feel like, <laughs> but this yeah, right. is the greatest thing I've ever felt. Right. I mean, it was unbelievable. Now, I contend it, there wasn't Oreo ice cream in it or cookies and cream ice cream because I believed at the time, is what I said to you on 139P, that I don't think Oreo or cookies and cream ice cream even existed back then. It was merely Fridays deciding they were going to put vanilla ice cream in a shake and put cookies in yeah. and mix it all together. Blend it together, yeah. It's brilliant. And I was thinking, could it be that there was no such thing as cookies? Because I remember when it was, when it was first invented that that ice cream that we're talking about it wasn't called cookies and cream it was called oreo ice cream that's what i remember okay. it to be called all right and then i found this from sioux falls south dakota i love this is this is what you're doing in your off time but go ahead off time <laughs> yeah right this is work <laughs> okay this is show prep gotcha i'm reading you straight from the argus leader i don't know what that is argus leader i don't know either uh there wasn't a patent but there are witnesses. In 1979, Joe Leadham was a dairy science student at South Dakota State University when he helped make the very first batch of cookies and cream ice cream. The idea is credited to Shirley Sees, wow. a manager at the campus dairy plant. Uh, Leadham says he was an institution in the dairy science department, <laughs> he says of Sees. Sees in the mid-70s stopped at an ice cream shop after a day of judging products his scoop was served with cookie crumbles on top oh months later Leadham recalls he was working in the campus dairy plant with his friend and classmate joe van treek 
And C, Shirley C, says to the two students, I want you to go out to the store and buy me some Oreo, some Oreo cookies. We both kind of looked at him with puzzlement in our faces. And he says, I have an idea for a new ice cream flavor. I want you guys to be a part of the first batch. Just go get me the Oreo ice cream. So Liedem and Van Treek left the lab in their dairy white uniforms in 1979, hopped into one of the plant's delivery vans, and drove to the grocery store at 6th Street and Madari Avenue. It's a good one. It's a good store. (laughs) We pretty much cleared them out of all Oreo cookies, says Liedem. Back at the plant, they crushed up the Oreos in a machine called a fruit feeder. We incorporated the cookies into the ice cream, and a new flavor was born. The first batches of cookies and cream ice cream went to the campus dairy bar, and it was an instant hit. C's used to say that it was like wildfire going through dry grass once the word got out about this new flavor. 1979, (laughs) South Dakota State, ladies and gentlemen, Cookies and cream ice cream was born in 1979. I wonder if you went to the grocery store in 1979. I was five, but how many different flavors of... Because I feel like now it's just run amok. It takes my daughter four <laughs> hours to pick something out. It's crazy the amount yeah. of... I bet yeah. it was probably chocolate, strawberry, vanilla. I think. Neapolitan. It's got all three. And, and then and I pops. think that was it. Maybe some fudgicles? Yeah. <laughs> A good fudgicle. Fudgicles are the best. I used to need to put a little water on the fudgicle before I started. Oh, to get that layer of ice off? The dry, when it was dry ice, dry cold to my tongue. Yeah, you didn't like it? I felt like the guy from Dumb and Dumber that put his tongue up against the pole. Probably a Christmas story you might be thinking of. No, I'm thinking of Dumb and Dumber when they were on Jim Carrey and what was the other guy's name? Oh, yeah. And Um, he put his tongue up against the pole on the ski lift and then he got... Am oh, I not? Yeah. Am I not right Jeff about Daniels, that? Jeff Daniels, but yeah. What, what's I, wrong with you, Jeff? Daniels? How do you? Did well, you not? What you never saw Animal House either? They did it first in a Christmas story, so they're oh, kind of okay. ripping it off. I don't know a Christmas story. Oh, well, yeah, a kid yeah. sticks his tongue on it, gets dared to do it, and it's, yeah, the fire department comes on the yeah, whole thing. That's me on the on the fudgicle. I need a little a little something something. <laughs> now, Richard Gould is that his name? <laughs> Imagine what he's thinking now after the whole ice cream thing. I mean, forget well, it. I've got some news for Richard Gould, but he's a baseball guy to make him happy. I think this show is going to make sports fans happy. Okay. Because not only are we going to talk sports in the first segment and maybe a little bit in the last segment, but our three guests are really going to talk sports. And I think you are going to be thoroughly entertained. We'll work our way backwards. The third set of guests will be the another note table. We did one last week on 139. But the Seahawks drafted three guys. Yep. And there's Richard Sherman news and whispers and is he coming mm-hmm. back and there's a lot of stuff going on there's undrafted free agents so we'll get the Seahawks no table guys Joe and Brady in the third interview segment to talk about what the Seahawks did or didn't do over the three days of the draft okay, okay? working our way forward in the second segment do you remember former uh former GM Randy Mueller he was of GM of the Saints he yeah. was GM of the Dolphins he was player personnel director for Paul Allen right away at the beginning for Bob Witsit of the Seahawks. He drafted Walter Joe. He he threw himself into the draft like he's still a GM. He was executive of the year in the NFL. Well, he's going to not only assess some of the big storylines of the NFL draft, but I got him to tell there's a very good, funny, interesting story about how the Seahawks drafted Walter Jones. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. He drafted Walter Jones. All right. Okay. So in 1997, I'll just set it up and then he can tell the story. Believe it or not, the Seahawks had the 11th and 12th picks in the first round of the 97 draft because Rick Meyer, they traded Rick Meyer to Chicago to get one of them. Was Sean Springs maybe the other one? Well, 11 and 12. Okay. 
11 and 12. And what would John Schneider do if he had, first oh. of all, first of all, his head would explode yeah, right. if he had 11 and 12. <laughs> but what would he do? Oh, he'd be he would make 11 and 12, yeah. 52 and 53, <laughs> right. and add 26. Randy Mueller, I think, did something that either has never been done, it'll never be done again. Okay. He took 11, he traded up to three, and he took 12 and traded up to six. He traded up for both of those picks. Wow, really? And that and that, that's all the story I'm going to tell you. All right. Let Uncle Randy tell you the rest of the story, how he had to negotiate with Bill Parcells to be able to get oh, up to number six. That sounds fun. To get Walter Jones. <laughs> nice. Hey, it worked out, right? Pretty good pick. Sean, and you're, you're a Sean Springs guy, right? Oh, yeah. He became I a buddy. fan club. You, yeah. you and oh, Tepper were big huge. Sean Springs. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, yeah, I think he Sean. He was a big T-man fan. He used to talk about being Paul Allen's first ever pick. Or am I? Do I have that yeah, wrong? That's yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Because it was his first draft, and yeah. he was number three. He loved to tell right. anyone who would listen that he's Paul Allen's uh, first he, ever. He pick. and Tepper still buddies, still close. Uh, what am I? Tepper's <laughs> manager? I don't know. Ask him. <laughs> and that's that's so. Randy Mueller will be guest number two. Guest number one will be the head football coach of Western Michigan University. And you're saying, what the hell? Why are we having? Why is Mitch having? Has he gone crazy? Well, the first pick that they did choose at 56 is this small five eight and three quarters speedy wide receiver named Dwayne Eskridge. Yep. His head coach is Tim Lester. Okay. Young head coach of Western Michigan, who also was a former quarterback at Western Michigan, a, a, a record holder at Western Michigan. He is great. I just did the interview. Yeah. He's great. Good. Colorful, funny, fun, talking about his buddy D. Eskridge. And wait till you hear what he says when I say, all right, Dwayne Eskridge versus DK Metcalf, 50 yards. <laughs> <laughs> who you got? Where do you hear who he says? Okay. And what he says? Now, are, do you feel? That. Are you feeling good about the pick? I mean, is he talking his guy up, or is it? They all talk. I've been doing this for thirty years, yeah, talking to the coach. <laughs> they tell you how great they you, are. You get off the phone with these coaches after yeah. the Seahawks. It could be the it could be the Seahawks seventh round draft choice, <laughs> right. and you're feeling like, why did they take him in the first round? He's right. so good. Okay. Anyway, all right. Gotcha. So those are the guests. We obviously cannot start episode 140, Scott, without a few words from our partners, like. The Fireside Home Solutions team out at the house a couple of weeks ago. We're redoing our backyard patio with a new fireplace. John's crew made it very easy and efficient. FiresideHomeSolutions.com to begin your search. Jordan Flowers team at the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage. Been saving unfiltered listeners lots of money for years now. If you're at 3.5% or higher on your mortgage, there's money to be saved. 425-250-3150. Seven-minute conversation. 425-250-3150. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call. Tax advisors. Certified financial planners. Experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. Everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, uniquely Northwest, with a craft beer selection that you won't find anywhere. You can have your favorite beer delivered to your door by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app. Homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler. Our reservation is set for Mother's Day this Sunday. Lake Union location for us this time. Also, my son Max's 19th birthday. Nothing better than Daniel's Broiler for special occasions, a world-class steakhouse. This is episode 140, believe it or not, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. The fact that Russell Wilson and his agent from the Super Bowl on was looking for every member of the media to bitch and complain about the Seahawks, that was our fault. Yes. And we must have badgered Russell Wilson into giving 
Adam Schefter of ESPN, the four places that he would approve of trade, right? That was our fault, too. <laughs> That's wildly oh, sorry. The media's fault, too. Unfiltered. He is one of the few major leaguers that have ever thrown a perfect game in history. In fact, there were four others that have done that. Five-inning perfect game. But Madison Bumgarner, who threw, and I don't care about Madison Bumgarner, yeah, yeah. who threw a no-hitter for the amount of innings that Major League Baseball said you could play. You can't play nine. You can only play seven. Yeah. Oh, but we're not giving you. No, no. Oh, no. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, now we're officially underway with episode 140 with my dear friend, Hotshot Scott. I was taking Piper to school on Friday morning. She goes to Issaquah Middle School, and they're right in the middle of this big controversy. Maybe you heard of it. Maybe you didn't. No. Uh, one of the teachers there sent out a poem for some students to read, and it was extremely explicit and graphic. It wasn't Nipsey Russell who said, and now a poem. <laughs> was it Nipsey Russell? No, the Nipsey oh. that was his routine. Oh, Nipsey, Russell would come, <laughs> Nipsey Russell would come on and say, he had this like stupid poem, and he'd say, and now a poem. <laughs> I don't remember I that. just laughed like hell as a kid. That <laughs> was right. funnier than the, the actual poem. But go ahead. So what happened? This so the poem teacher was, won, yeah. This poem was, uh, yeah. I saw a screen cap of it. It was extremely inappropriate. Who knows if the teacher meant to or really? didn't, didn't mean to. I, I really? don't know. I pull up Friday, and there's protesters outside the school with picket Holy signs. Sh- yeah, it's like. Sheepskin. Protesters. And this one made me laugh. I, it kind of pissed me off. But one of the ladies is holding a sign that literally says, no porn. And I'm thinking, Piper's 12. She doesn't even know what that word is. <laughs> now I got to explain to my 12-year-old what the hell porn is? Was the, have you read the poem? I, I saw a screen cap of it. It was really, it was just, yeah, it's not appropriate for middle schoolers. It's just, you, you know. should have, I mean, we could read it on our podcast, can't we? Uh, I don't know. I, it's bad enough. It's it was that? just like, I th- it was like dirty and oh, sexual. Really? And yeah. Again, yeah. I don't know if the teacher meant it. I just love that that lady had. I don't know if the teacher now meant I, it. Did the teacher read it before they well, posted exactly. it? Exactly. Like, what are you doing Male here? or female teacher? No clue. I don't know anything about the investigation. Ooh, so but, now you got a full-fledged deal at Issaquah Middle School. Ugh, but Holy now, Toledo. But now Piper's got to read the word porn. I have to explain did to her you, what. Did, did she see it? Did she see the I'm word sure porn? I'm sure she saw it, because she saw it, but she didn't ask. Dad, God. what's porn? Yeah, exactly. She probably knows. Well, I know. How old is she, 12? Do I need this lady helping me out with the time to do it as my Point? Your ma, your your wife God. is a teacher. Yeah, she, she is can a teacher. teach her what porn is. I agree. Not this lady. It's so, are there a lot of protesters? Is the is the is the teacher getting fired? Or I, I don't. I have no suspended, clue. Suspended, suspended without pay. Yeah, they're probably looking into it. But yeah, I don't, it was like twelve is protesters. Commissioner Roger Goodell. <laughs> yes. Suspending her for six games. <laughs> right. But, but by the way, oh, when, when I saw that sign, it reminded me of a story that Jay Moore told. I'll tell you really quick. When he was like Jay Moore, the, the comedian Jay yeah, Moore, yeah, yeah. he was 12 or 13. He's yeah. in a wrestling match with his with his buddy, pro wrestling. And he's in yeah. the parking lot uh-huh. waiting for the wrestlers to come in and get autographed. This one wrestler walks up and he's got a lady on this arm, lady on the fur coat. And he, <laughs> all he said the whole time was stay in school, kids, stay in school. He kept saying stay in school. And at some point, Jay looks at his buddy and goes, wait a minute, we don't have to stay in school. <laughs> Another defeating the purpose type message there. <laughs> that was the first time you realized that, wait a minute, we have an option? We don't have to go to this place every day? <laughs> That's how I feel about the porn thing. Like, now you're exposing literally oh every God. single kid to that word. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> wow. Well, you'll have to update us on what happened. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big, big story, unfortunately. Really? Did yeah. it? Was it in the papers and everything? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Como and all that. Yeah. yeah. Not good. Okay, episode 140, um, you've got the other stuff or most of the other stuff. I'll, I'll rifle through some of this. We're going to obviously talk with the Seahawks Roundtable and Randy Mueller and the, the coach for the first pick. So everyone was expecting that John Schneider, 
There's no way that John Schneider is going to pick three guys in a draft. There's just no way he's going to take the three picks, and by the time they're finished, they'll have picked five or six guys. How many guys did they pick? They got three. They got three. But it looked like four for a minute, though, didn't he? Yeah, but then he he took the the extra pick. (laughs) Right. And he (laughs) traded up to get a guy that would be great on the new Sonics team. I'm not sure he's going to be good on the Seahawks. He's 6'9". Crazy. 312 pounds. At what point... Do these guys, are these guys too tall? I mean, if you put, all right, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a bad example because he was thin. Let's take uh, George Murison. Okay. Remember how thick George Murison yeah, was? Yeah. He was 7'6". Yeah, he wasn't Sean Bradley. He was. The, no, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. He wasn't Manute Bowl. Correct, yeah. I mean, at some point, these guys are too tall to play. It's hard to play offensive line. And what's the number? Okay, is it is George Murison too tall? I mean, could George Murison, if he had athleticism and he had football skills, could he play it at 7'6"? Nah, you, okay. you, you can't get so, the leverage. All right, so where are we? You go down, 7'4", <laughs> 7'2". Seven, seven, this guy's 6'9". I know. They got from Florida, University of Florida. Anyway, the three guys they got, 56, Dwayne Eskridge. Everybody knows about this by now. Right. I don't want to throw too much more than what our guests are going to do. We'll analyze it with our guests. I don't know. I get excited over fast guys. Yeah. Speed. Sure. I like speed. I've always been a fan of speed. <laughs> yes. Gets me going in the morning. It sure does. Speed. That's why you don't drink coffee. I like speed. Um, Dwayne Eskridge has that. He does. He he runs a, a sub 4-4. Four, four. He's really fast. He's really small. He's not even 5'9". Yeah, I was thinking about that. And who, who's the best example? Like, what's the best case scenario? Tyree uh, Kill, is he underneath? I don't know. I'm just throwing names out. Nate Robinson. <laughs> well, he's not in the league anymore, I don't think. <laughs> anymore? I don't think he ever was. Yeah, well, not in the NBA, I guess, <laughs> okay, is what I'm saying. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, is it? Can, what are some good examples to get me excited about the, the five foot nine player? I don't know. Killing it. I don't know. Are, are there many? Yeah, they, I think there's been a few here and there. Okay. I think there's been a few here and there. The Dolphins have a little guy named Grant. I don't know. I mean, he's not a pro bowler or anything, like that, but he's a good special teams guy. Okay. This guy... This guy, I mean, you, you couple him with the new offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. Shane Waldron, who likes to toss quick tosses out and wide receiver screens and smoke screens and bubble screens oh, and yeah. toss it to the runner, toss it to the wide receivers coming in motion and all that stuff. Okay. You would think this would be pretty good. And he said he, he I heard him say he can play all three positions, all three wide receiver positions. He can play, well, he's going to play, he's going to be in the, he, he'll be in, be in the slot. slot. Yes, he's yes. too tight. He's not going to play X. He's, he's going to play in the slot. And he's going to return kicks, and he might even be the gunner. And you'll hear—I don't, I don't want to give too much away from his coach at Western Michigan. He's great. He's great Good. on the podcast. You'll you'll hear that in the next segment. But his point to me was, Mitch, you think of lightning fast guys. First of all, he said—I'll give you two things that he said. A, he said he's faster in football pad. He plays faster than four three nine. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> the second thing he said is. You think of fast little guys as being lean. Yeah. This guy is big. Huh. He, he's strong. Okay, good. He's thick. Got to be durable in the NFL. He's, he's big. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. And then they got Trey Brown at Oklahoma. Another 5'9". Five a 5'9", five, 5'10", <laughs> five, corner, which I think is hysterical because for years and years and years, all we heard is, oh, the Seahawks, to play in their system, <laughs> oh, God. you got to be 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and long. Oh, they love those long, lengthy they guys. They love tall, tall DBs in and Seattle. And let me tell you how long they love the long guys. 
until they didn't have him anymore. <laughs> right. And now that they got DJ Reed, oh, DJ Reed showed you could be small and play really well in the <laughs> right. Seahawks. I kid because I care. It's, but it's easy Trey to love Brown. him when you have uh, Chancellor and Sherman running around there at 22. Yeah, Brandon Browner <laughs> Brandon, was no yeah. small guy. That's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, Trey Brown is 5'9", 5'10", 186. They picked him at 137. And then the 6'9", the 6'9", tackle out of Florida, 312 pounds. I don't even think the 312 is very big for for 6'9". Well, I was going to say that. I think that's probably not true. Randy Mueller, who had who, who's in our second segment, compared him to George Fant. Do you remember George Fant? Yeah. He was George a basketball Fant. player. That's right. This guy's like a basketball player. Okay. In I mean, a, they in, always say you want your left tackle to have long arms, get, you yeah, get that I long arm leverage. But that's, is he their next left tackle? Do they find... You really think they found their heir apparent to Dwayne Brown in the sixth round at 208? Now, granted, the sto- as the story goes, John Schneider was trying to trade up for hours trying to get a, got a yeah. and they thought that they weren't going to get him, and then they were able to get him at 208. Anyway, we'll talk about all this stuff. I still think, I'll say it right now, I'm going to say it to the Seahawks round table, uh, no table, not round table, Seahawks no table. I still think the Achilles heel, unless something happens between now and and opening day, maybe that something is Richard Sherman if he's got any football left. I don't know. Yeah. I look at those corners, and you might. everybody wants to throw DJ Reed at me. Oh, my God, he's a revelation. Didn't you love DJ Reed? I did. I like DJ Reed. I really liked him on punt returns. That doesn't really help me in the coverage No, thing. it sure doesn't. Okay, but there's something about DJ Reed, Akella Witherspoon. I mean, that group. Trey Brown. Trey Brown, <laughs> Trey Flowers. Oh, no more Trey's. I don't know. <laughs> No, I, I, it, I'm it reeks of we're going to and, and this is 2021. This is when teams throw the ball in the NFL. They do, as they, a matter of fact. Yeah, the yeah. passing, the pass game is, I don't know. I don't know that their coverage, I think we're going to be complaining about their coverage. All, remember we used to say they're going to be complaining about their pass rush last year all year round? Yeah. And, and then they did until they got some guys. And we also said they're going to be complaining about their offensive line all year round. And then they did. I feel like we're going to be complaining about pass coverage all year in 2021. I was complaining about Shaq Griffin last year. Boy, I think I'd probably like to have him back right now after after you named well, off all the corners. He was the best of what they had, but yeah. do you want to pay him $16 no, million? Dollars I don't want him back for that price, no. You want Richard Sherman back? No. You I, done? I love Richard Sherman. I mean, of course, but I'd rather go with the 22-year-old legs instead of the, what is he, 31 now or 30? If you can get him for the league minimum, you don't want him back? I guess for the league minimum, yeah. I, I guess I'll, I'd take a look. Schneider says he'll always be a Seahawk. Pete Carroll says, I've been talking to him all offseason. We chat all the time. He's doing great. Oh, and he's still got some football left. We'll see where that goes. <laughs> Nothing from Russell and Sierra, though, about Richard Sherman. Hey, I was wondering, speaking yeah. of Russell, I saw that Justin Fields went to the Bears. He did. And remember the Bears were really in it trying to get Russell Wilson? Yeah, but is this, is this... remember, John Schneider didn't actively negotiate. My fingers are up actively negotiate with any team about Russell Wilson. Right, yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know what you're talking about. With the I, I, I've never seen that in my life. <laughs> right, he just went to Fargo because he likes that deli? Is that- <laughs> well, I think they were at somebody's pro day, but that's okay. okay. All right, yeah. all right, all right. Yeah. So do you think that maybe that's there's some sort of chance that, that that's why they picked him because now they got some better leverage to get Russell Wilson? Or no, have you not no. even thought about that? No. Okay. I mean, well- they're going to trade – they're going to trade him here? Yeah, that's Justify- – I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, yeah, they, they I were going to offer up Andy frickin' Dalton. I mean <laughs> – No, we were not taking Andy Dalton. I agree. We're not taking Andy <laughs> Dalton. But now that they got this young cat, I don't know, maybe. Maybe it could happen. Maybe it's a little more appealing to the Seahawks now. I'm just throwing it out there. I haven't heard anything. <laughs> I'm just wondering. I don't think anybody would accuse you of hearing anything. <laughs> 
But the Bears, they came pretty hard at Russell. So. I got a guy for you who's available. Aaron Rodgers. You want him for the Seahawks? Saw that. It's kind of it's nice when an, how would he look in a Seahawk uniform? <laughs> it's nice when another would he make team... you forget Russell Wilson like the first time he throws a ball? Yes, it would completely take the sting off of losing Russell Wilson. Sting? Yeah. Would yeah. you trade Russell Wilson for Aaron Rodgers right now, straight up? Oh. What do you mean? Ah, oh. I, I I love them both. What, what I, I need to know their ages. Oh come on, Aaron yeah. Rodgers is older than yeah, Russell he's Wilson. older. Yeah. So I probably wouldn't. I would. You would tomorrow. How many years right now? Where do I where do I sign? Where do I freaking sign? But how many years? And does that's he have not. Left? I don't mean to be disrespectful towards Russell Wilson. I mean, but Russell Wilson at this stage of his career is becoming less and less of a running threat. Although he he does extend plays and he's Houdini, and sometimes that plays to the disadvantage of the team. But yeah. Russell Wilson, as every year that goes by, becomes more of a just a pocket, a little bit more of a pocket, a little bit more of a pocket quarterback. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> if you're gonna be, if you're gonna have a pocket quarterback. Right. And Aaron, by the way, Aaron Rodgers don't sleep on him. He can get outside and run around a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's one of the best ever. He's so. great. No, he is. And great. I think he's got years left. He's the MVP last year. Oh, that's right. It's a freaking reigning MVP. I do for like 40 touchdowns and four interceptions. You wouldn't make that deal? I guess You're with crazy. Tom Brady you playing. You keep speaking to the people. I, I haven't talked to anybody. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence is the number one pick. He signed with Adidas. Oh, you okay. okay with that? Sure. Okay. His six-piece, I want you to explain this to me, wow. his six-piece NFT collection. <laughs> okay. $225,000. Are you selling it? It's sold. Oh, it's sold. His six-piece NFT collection, whatever that means. Yeah, the non-fungible. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. that, but I don't even understand what that is. I don't really know. Trevor Lawrence, 225000 Zach Wilson. Are you following the Zach Wilson story. You know who he is. Yeah, BYU. He's the quarterback that went second from BYU, the Jets. Yeah. The, the, the and he's, all, he's had to answer questions about one topic. Yeah. I saw Craig Carton got in a little, <laughs> a little trouble for bringing that up. Although Craig sort of dug in and defended his questioning as not inappropriate. But yes. All anybody wants to write about in social media or talk about is Zach Wilson's mom. Yeah. She's easy on the eyes. As she they is say. easy on the eyes. Yes. She's a lovely woman. She's got like four or five kids, and she was present for the draft, and everybody's talking. And Zach's like, oh, God, really? <laughs> Did you have any friends really? that had that mom? Uh, I, I feel like there's always one, like one of one friend always has that mom that's, that's attractive for, you know. It definitely wasn't my mom. Rest in peace. <laughs> I love her. But it wasn't my mom. Thank God. Because that would be kind of weird. All your friends are attracted to your mother. I mean, I can see why, you know. It's, yeah, but but it's not just friends. I mean, he's a he's now a professional quarterback yeah. that was drafted second overall, and all <laughs> anybody's talking about is his mom. Right, second overall. Works his ass off. How about Mac Jones in the sweaty, drunken video that appeared oh. of, of him partying before the draft, just before the draft? He ended up going to 15. And by the way, we laugh about that, but he did get a DUI as a kid, too. As a kid? As a kid, like as a freshman in college. Or a high school senior. He got uh -huh. a DUI. So, and now there's that the video and everybody's like, should we make anything out of it? He was partying the couple nights before the draft. And, it, you know, you can't do anything without right. cameras catching you. Yeah, so yeah. He's probably the first guy, I would, I would guess, who ever partied before the yeah. draft. Yeah. The future first round pick. Yeah, probably first, the first one. one. First yeah, one, yeah. yeah. And I'll end, I'll end segment one with my favorite draft choice. Okay. My favorite draft choice. And I have to see whether I still have it. Have it in front of me. I don't think I do. So I'll try to remember. Do you, do you know the name Najee Harris? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. The running back from Alabama. I think he's going to be a really good NFL player. Oh, my God. I hope he is. Okay. 
I wanted him to go to the Dolphins. The Dolphins were trying to get him. I wanted him to go to the Dolphins so bad. He, I don't know that he's my favorite NFL player now, but everything I hear about this guy, every time I hear a story about Najee Harris, uh-huh. do you know his story at no, all? No, I don't. Okay. Let's start with, I'll, I'll do him in, in, in back order. He, He's one of the 26 Alabama players that on pro day needed, you know, doing their things. At, but he, did, he, he wasn't performing at pro day for some reason. Okay. Either he was hurt or he didn't have to or he didn't plan to perform. He wasn't performing for the scouts. Okay. And I don't know where he lives, whether he lived in California or he lives in somewhere Midwest or West. He decided, you know what? I should be there for my teammates. Oh. And he got in his freaking car. This is a this is a future number one dra- uh, first round right. draft choice. He got in his car and drove through the night and appeared unannounced at Alabama, Tuscaloosa. And they were like, "What are you doing here?" He's like, "You're not even." You're not. He said, "I just I had to be here for my teammates." Oh, what a guy. That's incredible. Okay. That's the first part of the story. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I loved him when I read that. I mean, how could you not love right. a guy? Then there's this. It turns out he and his family were homeless as a kid. Oh. Okay. He threw a surprise party. He threw a draft party at the shelter where he grew up with his brothers and sisters and his mom. What a guy. In California. So on draft day, while everybody's doing their thing at drafts and hugging the commissioner, Roger Goodell, yeah. and doing their things with the He's at a homeless shelter getting, you know, gifts and, and buying dinner and everybody in the homeless shelter. And they showed the room on TV where he grew up. It just breaks your freaking heart. Mm-hmm. They're like four beds in a tiny little a tiny little room. That's where he grew up as a kid. Wow. Wow. He threw a draft day party at the homeless shelter. I mean, how do you not? This is my favorite yeah. guy. Anyway, I'm on board, too. Everyone's got their totally. fancy suits on. Oh, he's he, now home- he had one too. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah, when he went to the home, <laughs> nobody in the homeless shelter was dressed quite like him. <laughs> I'm okay. sure. Yeah. But he is just. Good for him. Oh my God! Every time you read something, and I kind of, I'm kind of disappointed because I don't want to like Alabama players. Yeah. I don't like Alabama players. Yeah. Well, but now I gotta like him. I gotta like Tua. I gotta like Jalen Waddle. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I've become What's an your Alabama new favorite fan? team. All of a sudden, what just happened? All of a sudden, go Bama! Roll Tide! <laughs> Roll Tide! Yes. Anyway, I love Najee Harris. Now, what do you think about him as a football player? Because he to me looks he, like a great football player. But running backs. Teams don't value running backs anymore. So he went to the Steelers. The Dolphins are trying to trade up. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think he's going to be a good one. I do. He Everything well, I've he seen. He looks good. Yeah. He looks good. But he looks like the greatest kid. Oh, God. Yeah. And you're just heart When you see where he grew up and the situations and the condition. Oh, my God. But he'd probably say, look, oh. if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't have worked as hard. Yeah, you know? but uh, that's nice. It's being nice. Is it? Okay. Nobody deserves that. Yeah. No kid, no family deserves I'm that. I'm glad anyway, he's giving back. Good anyway, there you go. I got a few other things to, to throw in, in the mix in the other stuff segment, but I thought I'd stop there. Okay. I'm ready. All right. So we've got three interviews, and then uh, and I think you're going to like all three, especially if you're a football fan. Good storytelling. You'll love the Walter Jones. How do they – Yeah. How do I – you know, you'll love that. You're, okay. This guy, Tim Lester, the, the coach of the wide receiver, who's – I'm not telling you he's picking in a foot race, but <laughs> you can guess. Right. Anyway, and then we'll come back for the other stuff segment. Lindsey Schwartz is back with us. He's the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, of course. And I'd imagine, Lindsey, that with expanding dining room capacities, vaccines, you guys should be seeing some forward momentum these last few weeks and months at Daniel's Broiler. We are for sure. It's been a crazy year, obviously. But uh, over the past several months, every week we get a little bit busier 
And uh, now that we can seat up to 50% capacity and tables of 10, we've got pretty much every available seat full every night. So you have Les Shy, South Lake Union, and the Bellevue locations open. Tell me a little bit about what that's meant to your business, the expanded capacity in the dining rooms. Well, you know, we sell the six foot rule. And so at 50% now, it's about as many tables as we could conceit and still keeping them six feet apart. So it's about as much business as we'll be able to do until there's another significant change. But it's good. You know, we're fortunate that we have pretty big footprints in our locations and we're able to seat a lot of people. And remember, we have outdoor seating at all three locations as well. So um, uh, we got a good amount of seats available. Nice. Takeout and delivery on the rise at Daniel's Broiler as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the one of the nice things that's come out of all this is we've really, really seen a huge upswing in our delivery to go business. And, and even as we get more people back inside, the delivery takeout continues to be really, really solid. So we think that's a really a new piece of business for us that's here to stay. And uh, it just gives people more options. We all love special occasions at Daniel's Broiler. And before you know it, Mother's Day will be here, Lindsay. Yeah, that's one of the biggest days of the year, one of the biggest weekends of the year. It's really nice that we now can do groups of up to 10. And as you said, more people are getting vaccinated. And for people who want to come out and have a larger group, a group up to 10, we can now accommodate that. So we're really excited. And just in time for Mother's Day, it's going to be a really great day. Fantastic. Always been a great partner of mine, both in the radio days and now with Mitch Unfiltered. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Run pass option, looking up top for Eskridge. Dwayne Eskridge into the end zone. Seven in the box. Guess what? LLB's going to throw it. The slant is there. And there goes Eskridge. Off to the races for one of the fastest players in the back. He will not be caught. Well, you certainly know by now the Seahawks tried to trade out of pick 56 in the second round of the NFL draft over the weekend. That fell through, so they nabbed Western Michigan speedy wide receiver Dwayne Eskridge, D, and here's his head coach, Go Broncos, Tim Lester on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Hey, Coach. How you doing? I appreciate you having me. Ah, it's great to have you. What our listeners don't know, Coach, is that 11,299 yards passing at Western Michigan and 87 touchdowns. Do those numbers... Are those numbers familiar for any ball player? They are familiar. They, they're definitely from long ago. And my body feels every single one of the hits I took to get those yards and touchdowns. All right. so, so I have a little Tim Lester trivia for you. How good are you on Tim Lester trivia? I, I, we're going to find out. I, I should be good. <laughs> okay. You graduated, I believe, in 2000, or your last year at Western Michigan was 2000. Is that right? Yes, sir. You were at 11,299 yards. You had the fourth highest total in Division I football history, believe it or not. The question is, where does Tim Lester rank now, 21 years later? (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it's got to be low. I mean, they people are throwing it all over the yard. Just at Western Michigan alone, we've had two people break it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just at our school. Uh, and then I remember, uh, what was his name, Timmy Chung or the guy from Hawaii that oh, threw for 4,000 or five in one year? Tommy Chang, that's right. And that was, Chang, that's that, was that was the part two of the question. I was going to ask you if you know yeah. who the top two are. He's number two. Do you know who number one is all time? Yeah, I do not. How about Who's number K- one now? Case Keenum. Houston. Case Keenum, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know him as a pro time. more than, oh, yeah, Houston. I, yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Okay. And I remember, you know, for me, I, w- I would have to say, shoot, I got to be in the 50s now, Ooh. right? I assume, Ooh. right? 59. Pretty good. There you go. <laughs> I would assume the game's come a long way. I mean, they stop. I mean, we get first downs. They stop the clock now. I mean, it's so much more fun uh, to be an offensive coach now uh, than when oh. I played. But I did. We were very fortunate. We were – I was right right around the time of Drew Brees, and we were running the spread before people knew how to spell it, you know. And, <laughs> and now teams are way better at defending it, but it's still – we were way ahead of the curve. And uh, – and it's fun. I've always thought from from that perspective, and we obviously had a lot of success with wide receivers in this offense, and it's been uh, it's been fun. And it's just it's what I it's what I know because it's funny when I'm coaching quarterbacks because I ran this play eight million times, so it's hard to argue. It's hard to complain or well, they did this. Like I know I've done it before actually, you know. So uh, it's fun. I'm sure Lincoln Ryan. I mean, there's other guys that probably have the same feeling when they coach their offense. You know. Yeah. yeah. Listen, um, Tim Lester's the head coach of Western Michigan. He was a star there as a quarterback. Quarterback, all those yards. How did that Lester kid go undrafted in 2000? What did coaches know about him that I don't know? What 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 was it? Was there film? What what, what happened to you in 2000? I think I don't think they liked the slow, unathletic guys. <laughs> you know, uh, I think they. You know, I was I was athletic. The six inches between my ears and my right my right arm was good. But yeah, there was not a big need. And I think I might have been the only guy to be, that beat Tom Brady at the combine in his 40. But I didn't beat him by a lot. <laughs> Okay, it wasn't like it's not like I ran him out of the gym. Like, but I barely beat him. I think I was five oh one, and he was five point one. You know, well, uh, uh, we were all there together. It was it was it was fun to watch, and uh, I was hoping to get a shot into a camp. I ended up playing in the XFL, playing arena, had a blast with it, and got into coaching sooner because of it, which was great. You sure did. Listen, you got there. You got there as the head coach in twenty seventeen. You came from uh, Purdue. I think you were at Purdue for a year, and you mm-hmm. laid you laid eyes on this. Well, you called yourself uh, slow and unathletic. I don't think they would use those two adjectives to describe the newest Seahawk wide receiver. Do you remember seeing Dwayne for the first time when you became coach? Yeah, I mean, I was unbelievable. I'd heard about him, and I'd heard about his speed. I had not seen how strong he was. You know, fast guys, we all we all picture fast guys as skinny guys, yeah. and D could not be more opposite. I mean, he is yoked up. And the moment I saw him, I was like, oh, my, that's, that's power. You know, it's not just skinny track fast. I mean, he's put together. And man, can he run. It's a, it's a different level of running than I've seen. We had one other guy that was kind of in the same ballpark as him, and he plays for the Denver Broncos now. He's a, he was one of our running backs. And they'd race each other all the time. They'd been racing each other since juniors in high school. They're both from Indiana. They'd state championship against each other, and the same thing happened in college. And Bellamy obviously graduated last year, and he's with the uh, – 
He's with Denver, and now now it's D's turn because that kind of speed, you can't coach it, and it makes a huge difference in a game now. And he got faster. I read a recent article where you were talking to somebody, and you told you told that reporter that he was a, not only was he a track star, he was a he was a terrific track star in high school, but you said his forty time got faster and faster and faster in his years at Western Michigan, right? Yeah, when I got there, his first summer he ran a four four eight on our laser thing that we run him on and then he went 441 and then he went 438 I think he didn't run it last summer he had a hip flexor thing so we weren't going to take a chance with it cuz it would have been funny cuz Bellamy was right with him Bellamy ended up running the fastest he ever ran was 432 mm-hmm. and it would have been fun to see I really thought D had a chance to maybe hit the 42s and he did a great job I mean that kind of speed and the funny thing about it Mitch, I got to tell you, he played. I know he ran a four three nine, and people are like, "Wow, that's really fast." I think he plays faster than that. I really do. Wow. I mean, he is wow. uh, his speed on the field with the ball in his hands wow. is different, and uh, and that's where, and whether you want to put throw the ball to him underneath or just have him go run, you know, and yeah. uh, let him let him run by everybody, run over the top of the coverage, and. And he can do both, which gives them a lot of weapons, a lot of a lot of ways to give him the ball. Well, we'll talk about that here in a second, but in a foot race. Do you like D over DK Metcalf? You wouldn't pick you wouldn't pick Dwayne over DK, would you? I don't think I would ever bet against Dwayne. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever bet against D. Okay. I don't think I could. Okay. I really don't. Okay. I really don't. It would be a bet. I'd be I'd pay it. I'd I'd spend some money on a ticket to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be there in the front row. I'd be cheering for D. <laughs> Whoa! Where where did you where did you line him up? He figures to play in the slot at least initially here in uh, in Shane Waldron's new offense, the new offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. Tell us a little bit about how you used D at Western Michigan. Well, early on in his career, we put him to the field because he was a post and go runner. You know, he still hadn't mastered route running and digs and glances and whips and and double moves, and he was he got better. That was the most amazing thing. He always had the gears, but learning how to control them is really what makes a difference in in a receiver. So he started to the field, then we moved into the boundary, uh, which is in our offense. That's where Greg Jennings played. That's where Corey Davis played. I mean, it's kind of the place that gets a lot of balls in our offense. So he played there and. And we started moving him to the slot to get some matchups. Believe it or not, COVID had a huge part of that. We we had lost uh, our slot receiver, you know, due due to COVID, and mm-hmm. and we wanted uh, we loved our matchup against this certain team in the slot, loved it. And so we started we played him in the slot for that game, and uh, so he's played everywhere, uh, which is the fun part about him because he can run routes. I mean, he he is since he's mastered his speed. And he can he can come off, and he understands the patience of route running, especially at the line of scrimmage when he got to get the guy down in his face. And I know at the next level he's going to get a lot of that. Uh, once he learned how to do that, it was it was really it was really easy for, to get him open. Coach, what do you say to those who poo-poo the level of competition and and, and, wow. and knock him because he's doing it against? perceived lesser talent what do you say to that yeah you know i think the biggest thing is well, well the, if you're talking about speed the time's the time and they're all we're all catching the same ball you know and we've had obviously super bowl champs and and first round draft picks coming up our league that have had a ton of success there's a ton of guys in our league that are that are starting and playing for teams right now and i would say thank you i mean our our guys love that chip on their shoulder Guys like Ben Roethlisberger, like all these guys, like the chip on that sh- their shoulder of being in this league and what some people say. Now, I think people that understand football, 
you know, understand that there's a there's a good brand of football here, you know, but you can watch him to play against all the other teams. We had a chance to play Syracuse and Michigan State, and you can watch him play against those guys. And yeah. uh, the kid can't control who, who lines up against him, but he can control whether he runs by him or not, and he did that all day long. What's the story about you shifting him to corner? At one point, uh, you had you had heard for something from an NFL team that led you to shift him to corner, or try him at corner. Yeah, That's we right. had a, I had a lot of talks. I mean, his goal. He's been very honest with me from the get go that this is his dream, and and you know I told him, you know, a lot of a lot of guys are are thinking because of his height, he's five nine, five eight, and something. I don't forget what the the change is after that, but you know that he he was going to try corner. So I talked to him one off season and said, hey, do you want to try corner? If if it helps you get. To accomplish your dream, I run the offense. I'm not happy with you splitting time here, but if it helps you, I'm willing to give it a shot. So he he gave it a shot and did a great job for four games. And our goal was by midseason to pretty much we wanted to make him like a two-way player. I need to get him ten touches on offense and then let him play corner because he can lock people down. He'll hit you. He's going to be a special teams, unbelievable special teams player. Yeah. My biggest fear is just when he came down a crack on a safety that he wouldn't get ejected. Because he would, he was going to go hunting, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, we put him against really good punt returners this year. We put him at Gunner, and I said, "All right, dude, just make sure you hit him around the waist. Don't <laughs> don't get a helmet to helmet, you know. I, I can't lose you on offense here, just because I know you're going to. And he did it. I mean, he had some great tackles, but they were all, you know, he didn't get a helmet to helmet because it's so quick. You can't lose your best player on something like that, on a technicality when the running back or punt returner puts his head down and you get a helmet to helmet and you lose him. So that was really one of the best things that's ever happened to him, I have to be honest with you. When he went over there, you know, he learned, he had such a different appreciation and learned so much from being on the other side of things on how to run routes and how to run routes better and, and understand timing and patience. And, and when he came back, I mean, he was like a different guy. He could always run posts. He could always run go. He could always run by you. But when he started understanding how to, how to, how to understand his breaks and his transitions better, and how to use his speed and his acceleration. Because the other thing he has is acceleration. I mean, in like three or four steps, he's back to full speed. And when you're a route runner and you have that kind of burst, uh, it, was, it was a great thing. I mean, unfortunately, he got hurt against Syracuse in game four of that year. He played the whole defensive first drive, and then I think he had three catches in our first drive and then got hit and fell on his shoulder and, and broke a bone. But he came back even better, and we kept him on offense after that. And, but it was definitely something I think he's thankful for. Mm-hmm. And because it really did, it took him to the next level as a as a route running wide receiver. So gunner, punt returner, kick returner, all three. Do you yeah. think or not? I don't know about punt. We didn't put him out there at punt returning this year. We, we personally we made a choice on our punt return return unit that I did. I didn't want to rough the kick. I just wanted to hold. I wanted the ball back offensively. We averaged yeah. forty two points a game, and I said, do not run into the kicker. Just have someone go back there and fair catch it. Like I don't, I don't need D for a punt return. Although he could have done, he could have done it. But he was a great kick returner. I mean, shoot, he ran I think at least one back. I know he's averaging past the fifty in the first couple games. So he's definitely a kick return threat. He could do punt return, although that was a choice by me that yeah. I didn't want to let anything happen that they might end up getting the ball back. So we we're really safe on punt return, and uh, that's the only reason he didn't take any of those. 213 all-purpose yards, one of the best in all of college football. Coach, uh, I mentioned Shane Waldron comes over from the Rams. And, you know, when we all as Seahawks fans watch the video of D, the first thing we think is short passing game, behind the line of scrimmage using of the wide receivers, reverses, tossing it to him on the end of round, wide receiver screens. He should excel at that part of Shane Waldron's offense. Yes, I mean, get a, a space, space and speed. 
You know, we always say space is opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he does, they do such a great job of moving him around. You can, get, you can get him behind the line of scrimmage. Some of the stuff they did with the Rams just to get the ball in their playmaker's hands. And then, obviously, the other thing they do well is they run the ball, and which, which opens up play action. And when you have guys like the speed of all the receivers that are currently in Seattle, right. uh, your right. play action down the field game is is dangerous, wow. you know, when you have a guy that can throw the ball down the field like Russell Wilson. Going to be fun to watch him, no question about it. And it was a good a good couple of days for you and your program, right? You had a second guy, an offensive lineman that was also drafted out of Western Michigan. Yeah, Jalen Moore, left tackle, he's going to the 49ers. He oh. was, uh, I think, early in the in the fifth round. And those they're roommates, those two. They're both going out west together yeah which they'll have a they'll have a blast with it both great players those are the only two we really lost and it's fun to it's fun to watch those guys live their dream and then they're gonna i know they're gonna show up and work hard and we'll be willing to do whatever the team needs them to do and whatever the franchise needs them to do and that's that's what we're really proud of now hold on before you go remember who you're talking to now get get this one right so when okay. so when san francisco and seattle play against one another and you got one bronco on one side and the other Bronco on the other, we we know who you're cheering for, right, Coach? Offense. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, root for offense. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, dear. Spoken by a true quarterback in the, uh, in the 1990s and 2000s, Tim Lester is the head coach of Western Michigan. He's really kind to us to come on Mitch Unfiltered and talk about his two prospects that are now in the National Football League. Great to catch up with you, Coach. Let's do it again soon. I appreciate it, Mitch. Anytime. Thanks a lot. I got a question for you. Have you explored opportunities to save money each month on your mortgage payments? All it takes is about seven minutes to see what our next guest can do for you on the phone. Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage is on the horn with us. How are you, Jordan? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thank you. I missed you. It's good to be back. Uh, Great to have you back. What's the latest in the Northwest market these days, buyers and sellers and homes? Yeah, everybody's seeing their homes in their neighborhood selling for way over list. It's an incredibly hot market for sellers, um, and we're working with a lot of buyers, helping them get into homes right now. But great time with low interest rates. I'm not sure that I've ever asked you this question. What happens if I find a home that I really, really like and I want to act upon, but I haven't sold my home? That's a dilemma for me. Yeah, it's a great question and one we face every day with the buyers that are calling in, especially right now with a little bit tighter inventory. So I've been working with a real estate company and we've developed a program where the company will go in and buy the new home cash for the buyers. Mm. Sellers of the home can move in and then list their home to sell it. Uh, Once it's sold, proceeds from that house will go to purchase essentially the private note that this real estate company is willing to go on. So the buyers go on title and it's a private note that we then do the long-term secured takeout financing on. And what are the numbers these days on a refi with a good credit score, Jordan? Yeah, we've actually been getting a nice little mortgage-backed security rally this uh, last three weeks and rates are hovering right around that 3%, 2.99, 3% range right now. I know I ask this question every time, but it's important to make it as simple as possible for our audience. What's the number? What's the rate? 
that should make us at least explore redoing our mortgage? Yeah, I would say really kind of that three, three, seven, five, three and a quarter, three and a half range and above. There's actually kind of a unique market right now for buyers who bought kind of beginning of last year, the first half of last year, end of 2019, where if they didn't put the full 20% down, they still have mortgage insurance and their rate was probably in the three and a half to three, eight, seven, five range. And they can't get rid of the mortgage insurance yet. So what we can do is we can structure a no cost loan and drop the interest rate an eighth, a quarter, three eighths, but also remove the mortgage insurance due to all the appreciation we've been seeing in the market. So really we're saving people two, three, four hundred dollars just by removing the MI and dropping their rate just even an eighth to a quarter. Okay, and how do we reach the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, Jordan Flowers and his team? Direct line, 425-250-3145. Cell phone, 425-890-2957. Terrific partners, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. All right, here now is the the, uh, Seahawks. Third pick of the first round, the Seattle Seahawks select Sean Springs, defensive back, Ohio State. With the uh, sixth pick in the first round, the Seattle Seahawks select Walter Jones, offensive tackle from Florida State. My goodness. Episode 140, Mitch Unfiltered continues. He's the former NFL Executive of the Year, I think 2000. Is that right, 2000? I got that right? That's going back a ways, yeah, it's 2000. All right. Former NFL Executive of the Year, former GM of the Saints and Dolphins. He also made player personnel decisions here in Seattle. He's got the Football GM Podcast with Mike Sando, our our buddy. He writes frequently for Fox. Ladies and gentlemen, we're Mm -hmm. returning. I guess the first visit to Mitch Unfiltered wasn't too harmful because he's back. (laughs) Here's Randy Mueller. Hi, Randy. How are you, Mitch? Good to be back with you. It's nice to Always enjoy... uh seeing your face and visiting with you, catching up a little bit. It's nice to have you back. And we need before, I know you have dug into the draft as much as you did when you were a front office guy. But before we do that, you know that this this show is kind of a storytelling show. Mitch okay. likes to Mitch likes to tell drawn out long <laughs> stories. In fact, I've got a brother in New York who every time I start to tell a story, my brother in New York says, short version, Mitch. Short version. Uh, We don't want the short version for former GM Randy Mueller. Let's go back to 1997, okay? Do you remember 1997? Where were you? That was a good year. That was a good year to be a Seahawk. Yes. It was a very good year year to be a Seahawk. Uh, You were the player personnel guy. We had Bob Whitsitt. It was, yep. Paul, it was Paul Allen's first year, I believe, at least first draft, yep. I believe. Mm-hmm. It's the 1997 yep. NFL draft, and the Seahawks have the 11th and 12th picks of the first round. But you guys didn't pick 11 or 12. You didn't pull a John <laughs> Schneider and trade down to get a lot no. of picks. You guys did the opposite. Tell everybody what you did. Well, that was a unique draft, that's for sure. Not only that was it Paul's first draft, but we still had uh, Ken Baring as part owner as well. So we were serving two masters, two ownership groups. One was kind of willing to spend money. One wasn't because he was headed out the door. Mm-hmm. So it put me in a tough spot in that I had to sell everybody, which was twice as many people as normal, on the plan. So, yeah, we had traded Rick Meyer to the Bears. Most people re- remember that one um, for the Bears pick. And we ended up with 11 and 12 in the first round. And uh, we thought going in, all of our intel, all of our studies, like you said, we dug in deep. We thought it was really a six-player special draft. Mm. 
six players. And we wanted to figure out a way to, to move up and participate and get in that top six. So we, in actuality, about six weeks ahead of the draft, we used our first pick, which was 11 that you mentioned, and we'd made a deal to go up to three with the Atlanta Falcons. And our, uh, I had done enough intel where I kind of knew that the top three players, I'd be happy with any of them. It was Orlando Pace. It was uh, the big defensive lineman from the Raiders. Yeah. Um, Russell, uh, what's his name? Anyway, and, yeah. and Sean was the third guy. Yeah. And we had our board set at the time already anyway. So I knew I'd get one of those three players. So by going up there, that kind of took a little bit guesswork out, out of it for us. That wasn't a prize, as it turned out. We were trying to to get up in the bottom half of that uh, top six to get another guy that everybody kind of grew to uh, like around the Seattle area. So uh, we made the pick with Atlanta, or we made the trade with Atlanta. And then the, the morning, or actually the, the night before the draft, before we actually came back in and did the drafting, the Jets had the sixth pick. And I thought we had a deal to go up to the sixth pick. Bill Parcells and I had talked several times. He had said, I don't think our guy's going to be there. We'd kind of worked out the formula, what it would cost. I think it was going to be a, a third and a fifth or something like that to move from, from 12 to six. And we knew we wanted Walter Jones. That was our whole you know, point to get up there. Yeah. I went home that night, thought it was great, thought we were going to make a deal. I come in the next morning and the first call I get right off the bat was from Parcells saying, no dice, we're not going to make the deal. Uh-oh. We don't want to fall all the way back to 12. And I'm thinking, holy mackerel, I had already got all the ownership groups to, to back what we were going to do. We were going to move up. Paul was willing to write the check. You yep. know, it was quite a quite a big number, uh, Sonny bonus wise, that we're going to have to pay for those two top six picks. Right. Yeah. So it was substantial back in those days. And, and you were doing five and six year deals at that time. So you definitely needed to get approval from above my pay grade. That's for sure. So um <laughs> We, we ended up, uh, I, I talked to Parcells that morning before the draft. He told me they were going to move back with Tampa. And I think uh, he said, Tampa, though, doesn't really think, they don't know what they want to do at six. He said, if I was you, I would, I would probably stay in touch with Tampa. The minute we hung up, I called Rich McKay on the phone, who was running the Buccaneers at the time, and said, hey, Rich, if there's anything you guys don't want that, that's there, tr- uh, we are willing to come up from 12 to 6. Come to find out, they got on the clock. There was Their player was not there. He called me. We actually moved up to 6 in a deal with Tampa for less than I had agreed the <laughs> night before to pay Parcells to move up with the Jets. So we saved a fifth-round pick by making a deal with Tampa. I guess the moral uh, of the story is you, you better be, it's better to be lucky than good. I know that. So uh, we got lucky. Things fell our way for a change. And uh-huh. that's the way the draft is, though. You might make a million calls and never make a deal. In this case, uh, we made one or two, and it ended up falling in our lap. So it was nice. Any of those gray hairs I'm looking at? Uh, come from that draft, that 19, those phone calls with Bill Parcells. <laughs> yeah, that was tough. You know, Bill Parcells and I had a long relationship. He always used to call me kid. You know, uh-huh. remember, remember when we were young in this business? <laughs> yeah. Hey kid, what's going on? Hey kid. He well, kid me about, kid me about being from Idaho and all that. So well, the, the, that's the way he kind of broke the ice with me and tell me no dice. On no, the dice. Deal was, no, yeah, dice. no dice. Well, um, I think John Schneider, uh, if he was around in those days, hearing that you traded up from 11 and 12 to 3 and 6, he might jump out of a building. I, 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 I don't even know if that's in his vocabulary, trading up two first-round draft choices. By the way, before you put the story away, we know what happened to Sean Springs. and we, we know it became of a big Walter Jones. When was the next time you picked in that draft, Randy? I'm assuming oh, yeah. 
I'm assuming you could go take a nap for a few hours, huh? We could have got nine holes in for sure. I don't know about 18, but we could have got nine in, no doubt about that. I guess maybe what fifth, I guess, because we did save the fifth round pick. Uh-huh. We didn't have to give that to get up to, to Tampa spot. So maybe it was a fifth round. I don't know. Might have been fourth. Daryl. How about this, though? Yeah. These days, when you move up like that, you're giving away first round picks next year and yeah. the year after. Yeah. The price is crazy, right? Well, yeah. Not in those days. It was supply and demand, baby. And we were the only ones going up and everybody wanted to go down. So we just used supply and demand and, and we're able to make a decent deal. Daryl Russell. Was the yeah, guy there? You go, and uh, and I think he's passed. God rest his soul. Yes, yeah. yes, I, I believe do, so. Yes, I don't think he panned out as a real good NFL player, but a lot of the other guys did at that particular. Okay, let's jump into what what became of the 2021 draft. Now, you're the former executive of the year. I'm looking at a nice framed newspaper article over your right shoulder right now. and uh, But you, you told me uh, via text on the phone, you said that you've been, ju- you jumped into this one real, real deep. Uh, the Seahawks didn't pick until 56. He wanted to trade out. He thought he had a trade to trade out. And then that fell through. They took this diminutive receiver. Who's real fast, a playmaking receiver out of Western Michigan. And they ended up with yeah. two more guys in the draft. Do you have any thoughts? I don't want you to force it, but do you have any thoughts yeah. on those three guys? I've seen those guys. And, and I would only preface it by saying this was kind of a, not, not from the Seahawks standpoint, from a, from a 30,000 feet level of the, the total NFL, it was kind of a clunky, awkward draft process for everybody. Okay. Just because of COVID, because of everything we went through, everybody gathered information different. I don't think we had near the amount of information consensus. So I saw more picks this year that were kind of out of left field than I ever have seen before, but that's normal, right? We just didn't have it. We'd, we were all split up in other rooms. Nobody really, you know, we, we didn't have our normal normalcy that comes with with meeting for hours and days and kind of condensing this all down. So having said that, nothing really uh, surprises me. But the other caveat is I didn't see this draft, Mitch, as being very deep at all, especially from the defensive side. I didn't see a ton of guys that I'd say, yeah, I'd like to go get that guy. I like him. I like him. So it was more of a let's go get a skill set, maybe than a complete player. You know, like, for example, the Estridge kid is a, is like you say, a slot guy. He's a fast guy. I think it's a big need for the Seahawks. I think it's a good get, but he's more of a role-playing type guy. Same with the corner that they got later on. He's more of a special teams guy, you know, who can return kicks, kind of a, uh, a frail looking guy is going to have to be a more of a prospect than a player. You know, he might be your fourth or fifth corner, but he might help you on teams, which you got to have. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the foresight kid, the tackle, um, think about George Fant. That's what you're getting. You know, a big basketball player looking guy, he's six, eight, he could play that two, three zone for your orange man. <laughs> no doubt. You know, they would love that back there. That's what he looks like. A big, long arm basketball player, 35 inch arms. So there, there's some prospects that I think you're going to have to mold um, more practice squad than really contributors, I think, but that was through the whole league. So if there was a year when you only had three draft picks, yeah, this might be a good year because of it. You know, they, they got value from their picks. I mean, we all know about Jamal Adams and the other picks that they gave up. So I wouldn't question that at all. I do think next year will be totally different. And I see, I think some teams made some trades to get rid of this year's pick to get it more, uh, more ammo for next year, just because the quality of the draft, I think will be so much better. You mentioned the size of the corner and the role players of the three draft choices. Let's talk about the Seahawks corners. 
It's funny because three or four years ago, the Seahawks want long, tall, yeah. physical corners. <laughs> right. And, and now DJ Reed is there and he's on the smaller side. Yep. And and now this guy from Oklahoma is on the smaller side. And now we're hearing, well, maybe smaller guys make – I don't know whether this is spinning because that's what they've got. So they're yeah. telling us that smaller guys are good in their defense – for me, it's the obvious as we sit here the day after or two days after the draft, it's the obvious weak part of the football team. That that cornerback room seems awfully shaky for a contending football team. You agree or disagree with that? Um, I think it's it has some limits without a doubt. I think they're going to be scheme challenged because of it. I also think you, it, it gives you pause to really realize how good those guys used to be, right? That length, those long arms, the guys that change – angles of the ball coming in, that's hard to find. And so you can say that's part of your profile, what you're looking for, but God bless you. There's only so many Mike Haynes is out there and guys with long, you know, torsos and, and guys that can do that. So I think sometimes it is that you are a victim of, you got to love the one you're with. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the case here. I think they've got a, they're going to be scheme challenged, but no better guy to do it than a guy like Pete Carroll, whose defense can evolve. It can change. They went, they changed last year during the season. So I don't think as you go into the camp, I'm now they're always they're going to always still be looking, but they're going to have some smaller frame guys, and I think play some more zones. They might have to play some more three deep zones to keep things in front of them. You know, I just think they're going to have to be creative in where they put these guys. That's the art of coaching, right? Yes, that is the exact yes. art of coaching. Yes, uh, the the five quarterbacks: Lawrence Wilson, uh, Lance uh, Jones, Fields. Uh, let's throw Lawrence out of the out of the mix for a second because we're going to come back to Lawrence. Yeah. Um, did you have the five when you watched the film film study of the five guys uh, in the order that they were picked? Did the Niners do the right thing with the third overall pick? Those are two questions. I would say this. I like Zach Wilson second. I do think he's special. I think the things that he brings to the table are he's he does more stuff, Mitch, second and third level quarterbacking than I've seen most guys come out do. In fact, he does that better than Lawrence does it right now. I think Lawrence has a higher ceiling, but Zach Wilson comes from a scheme that, gosh, I'd like to hire the BYU offensive coordinator who now is at Baylor, by the way, and I am keeping track of that. <laughs> That's how good they were. You know, so they did a great job. Um, the kid can make all the throws. He's athletic. Mm -hmm. He can recess. He, I guess the one fear I have is he's not a big guy. And so he's going to have to bulk up a little bit. But having said that, Lawrence, Wilson, and then the gap for me. And then it was Justin Fields. It was Trey Lance. And then Mac Jones. That's just me. That's why Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors, <laughs> right? Everybody gets to pick the ones they like. So I, I, I would back up a little bit. I, I think the 49ers did what they thought was best. I don't know that I could have done it because it's risk reward it's high risk coming you know picking a kid from north dakota state who I, I know he has 17 starts but look at the attempts i think he's got a ton less attempts than anybody else just because of the scheme that they run right so i just don't know if he will have seen what he's going to see now when he gets to the nfl right he, he doesn't have the reps in it you know plus the speed of the game but i understand he's a smart kid he's a sharp kid he's going to learn fast I don't think he's going to be ready to play this year. I heard somebody say, uh, one of the guru analysts on TV, that he's a year away from being a year away. Oh, you know, oh, I, I just think there's a little bit oh. of a of a project there because okay. of you know he'll be a fast learner. 
But I think the key for them is keeping Jimmy G for another year so they don't have to play this kid. Right. But it's a risk right. reward. As a decision maker, I don't know if I could have done that because that takes some kahunas to, yeah. to, to one, give away all they gave away to go up that high and then pick a kid that's a little yeah. bit of a project. So that's a hard one. It's funny, uh, Randy. Randy Mueller, our guest, it's funny that we spend so much time talking about who San Francisco sh- – picked and the five or the four guys after Trevor Lawrence that in the days and weeks leading up to the draft we didn't talk much about Trevor Lawrence some believe that he's a transcendent quarterback does he have the look of a hall of famer someday in your eyes I would say this he has the skill set of a hall of famer he checks as many boxes as hall of fame guys coming out I think his comp is Justin Herbert Maybe a little oh. better athlete. Oh. I mean, he's big. He can make all the throws. Um, he comes from a little different offensive scheme. So there's some things that he won't have seen yet uh, with regard to reading coverage, throwing guys open, instinctively timing things. Let's face it, Clemson guys are open all the time, right? So I can stand there and wait <laughs> till they get open if they're not. Yeah. He's not going to be that way on Sundays. Right. These guys move fast. you got to throw on time. So there's going to be some challenges for him, but there's nothing in his background or in his profile that tells you he won't get there. The, the other thing is that in so much of this, um, we see it every year, these quarterbacks get jostled around in the media and everything. These guys are organizational successes or failures, in my opinion. It's what the, what the organization does around him, how they support him, how they surround him. You know, they get all the blame quarterbacks do. They get, you know, probably too much of the credit. But as we see these guys at the top, look at Wentz, look at Goff. These guys are organizational failures to me. I don't think that it means they can't play. It just wasn't set up for them to do at the place they were at. Maybe this second, you know, a second swing at the plate for them will, will you know, give you some different results. But so much of that is, is going to be out of Trevor Lawrence's hands because in Jacksonville, it's a rebuild, right? They're a bad team. they got to get better somehow, some way. They've got a coach that when they come opening weekend, will be coaching his first NFL game ever. That's a big deal. Randy, uh, let's play a little game. I'll look into my crystal ball in 25 years, and I'll tell you that my crystal ball tells me that there's going to be four Hall of Famers that were drafted in the first round of the 2021 NFL draft. But my crystal ball's not telling me who, who they are, which, which four guys they are. Right. When you watched the first round unfold and you did your studying and you looked at film, were there three, two or three guys? Let's uh, throw Trevor Lawrence out now that we've spoken about yeah. him. Are there two or three guys, regardless of position, that you really, really, really liked? I think Kyle Pitts, for my money, is as good of a weapon as I've seen Mitch in eight or 10 years. And I don't consider him a tight end. I don't consider him a receiver. I consider him a little bit of everything. I I think the name, the unicorn label fits for me, and that's others, not mine. But that's how how special he is. He's big. He's fast. He can get away from people. He has sudden quickness to him for a big guy. And then once they do cover him, they can't do anything about it because he outreaches him and catches it anyway. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge for Arthur Smith and Atlanta to use him all in the right way. But this kid, I think, has definitely Pro Bowl ability early in his career, and who knows what might happen. Okay. The other kid for me was the Oregon tackle, Penny Sewell. Oh, you like him? I think he, yeah, yeah he fell into Detroit's lap. I mean, they, 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 I'm not sure Detroit coaches have sobered up yet from getting him <laughs> a couple of days ago, you know? I mean, talk about a gift. Oh, Unbelievable. Boy. Did a, yeah. they, they, they did the, the obvious and picked him when he fell to him. And he's a, he's a left tackle. He's a right tackle. Shoot, he could play either guard. But what really impressed me about the kid is his smarts. 
he, he's really football smart. He's well-read. He's, he's a really good communicator. Those are the kind of guys you just can't have enough of. So I think those two guys for me stood out. And other than Lawrence and Wilson, they were the probably third and fourth guys on my board. Okay. Quick hitters with uh, Randy Miller. I'll give you a couple of, couple of topics. Give me some quick thoughts on them. Is this Russell Wilson's final year in Seattle in your estimation? It all depends if they can find an answer. I think it could be. I, I think it also depends on how this year goes. I don't think anybody's ready to cut the cord with Russell. Obviously, that it's the replacement value that, that's the key, right? We've got to have some way uh, to replace the quarterback. Otherwise, he's going to be there forever. And if he truly does want to move on, sometimes, hey, it just a, a relationship wears out. And maybe this has come to that point. I don't think Pete wants to move him. No, no. No 70-year-old coach wants to start over, right? right. With a brand-new quarterback in right. the end of his career. Right. Uh, if you're a GM of the Texans, what do you do with Deshaun Watson? And if you're a GM of a team that's still looking for a quarterback that has eyes for Deshaun Watson, how are you playing this out? That's a hard one because I, I'm no lawyer. I don't even play a lawyer. So I don't even understand the ramifications or what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. I just think you have to set him on the shelf which really is what Nick Casario has done since he took the job anyway, because, you know, Watson said he didn't want to play to start with. So he's kind of had to set him on the shelf. So it hasn't had really altered his mind. He went out and drafted a quarterback. He signed a quarterback, Tyrod Taylor. So he's got a couple options at least. And I think he's just got to go on, you know, and let the, let this play its course. Uh, the legal system will figure it out for him. And then Roger Goodell and the league will weigh in as well. So who knows if this kid will even play this year. Again, I don't pretend to know the ramifications behind it, mm-hmm. but I just, I don't think he's a viable trade commodity to anyone at this state. And I think Houston would be crazy trading him because he's at an all time low value at this point. Your former team with Tua at the quarterback made a decision to take one Alabama receiver over another. To, yeah. to put them with their former quarterback. You had Waddle and you had Smith. You know how I watch closely what happens down there. I was yep. curious. I would have liked to have been in the room when they decided which Alabama wide receiver to take. Did they take the right, right one in your estimation? Here's what I think their criteria was. And then probably my end, end of the answer is yes. But, and I equate this back to, to when I was there, and you probably remember this, Mitch, being a Dolphin guy, when we drafted Ted Ginn. I mean, they were ready to run me out of town yeah. for drafting Ted Ginn. Yeah. Ted Ginn only played 13 years and changed the way anybody defended us on every play because of the speed. I think the Dolphins are kind of a similar team right now. They're like the old electric football game we played when we were kids <laughs> where they just buzzed around and nobody broke out of the pack. Yeah. Well, that's the Dolphins. They need someone to break out of the pack. And so I think the best guy for that was Jalen Waddell. He, he can throw a, a three-yard bubble screen to him or an under route, and the next thing you know, it's a touchdown from 50 yards out. So mm-hmm. I think it was the, the element of speed that drew them to him. Um, I think the other kid, Devontae Smith, might be a better all-around receiver, but he doesn't quite have the same explosion. And so I think it's more of a style than substance that they needed. They needed a guy to score from outside 30 yards, and Jalen Waddell does that. Okay, last question for Randy Mueller. Great to have him back. Terrific at what he does. You can follow MuellerFootball.com too. As we sit here in the days, weeks after the draft, and you look at the NFC West, which was so darn competitive last year, the Seahawks trying to do what they could do with limited cap space. He was trying to find bargains. He got some people back after he cut them and brought Carlos Dunlap. And so the Rams went out and got a new quarterback in Matthew Stafford. The Cardinals are getting healthy again. And they've got some guys, some new guys. 
And then the Cardinals are, are on the rise with their young quarterback. How do you, as we sit here, from a personnel standpoint, does one of those four teams stand out to you amongst the other three, or are they all real close? Well, I go back to the quarterbacks, really, and, and I still think it's the Rams and the Seahawks because that's the two best quarterbacks, right? I think Stafford does make the Rams better, and and I think people will see that from the first day he shows up. I think it's a giant upgrade for them. But they got rid of some people, too. Didn't Brockers have to go? Yes. And they had some cap issues that they're dealing with, so they aren't as deep as they used to be. I know Seattle hasn't done much, but I don't think Seattle's done yet either. I think over the next month or so, John's going to still be active and find a way to rob Peter to pay Paul to, to get a couple guys still in the mix. I don't think they're done by any means. I'm not completely sold on the Cardinals. I think the young quarterback, um, the durability factored in for him the last half of the season. I don't think he was nearly as effective as he was early. So he's got to stay healthy for me. He's still finding his way. So, so I don't know where the 49ers end up in this mix. You know, everybody talks about Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and having everything figured out. I think they've had one winning season in the four years they've been there. That's all. So, and it was a Super Bowl year. So you got to give him credit for that, but one year and four winning, I don't know that I'm ready to anoint them either. So I think Seattle still has a, the trophy and someone's going to have to come knock it off, you know, take it from them. And the Rams did that. So I think the Rams are probably the, the their biggest foe to challenge for the division title, in my opinion. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, Randy Mueller. Uh, he's been a friend for a long, long time, going back to the Seahawks days in Kirkland and Cheney and all that good stuff. He's, uh, he's with us here on Mitch Unfiltered. I hope you'll come back. Uh, we love what you do. Terrific on the air. Terrific on the podcast with Sando. I listen. And uh, it's great to catch up with you again, Randy. Good to see you. Anytime. A, good to see a friendly face. Thank you. Yep. Love it, Mitch. Take care, buddy. It's time for Quizlet number three. I improved from one to two. Ladies and gentlemen, here she is. Katie Versio, senior financial planner, our partners, Evergreen Golf Call. How you been, Katie? I've been good, Mitch. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm fearful, but I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> Three questions. Okay, so I'm going to start you off with an easy one, and the, the topic today is about taxes. Okay. The 2020 tax filing deadline has been pushed back from April 15th. Uh, what's the new tax filing date? Is it July 15th? May 1st, April 30th, or May 17th? Easy one, May 17th. They gave us more time in 2020 than in 2021. Yes, I tried to trick you there. Uh, last year it was July 15th, but this year it is May 17th. Okay, one for one. Question two. So tax reform is a major topic on everyone's mind this year. Uh, Biden's administration is proposing increasing the top income tax rate from 37% to what? Is it 40%, 42.5%, 39.6% or 38%? I'm going to be two for two, 39.6%, Katie. Okay. That's right. Yes, that was what it used to be before the tax reform in 2017. So, yes, it's proposing from 37 to 39.6. I'm two for two, and I'm going for the clean sweep. Okay, let's see if I can get you here. So um, another major component of tax reform is a proposal to lower the federal estate tax exemption amount from $11.58 million. Now, Washington State has our own a state tax exemption amount. So is that $1 million, $2.193 million, 
$4.2 million or $6.193 million? The Democratic way, Katie. <laughs> um, I don't know what Washington State's current tax exemption is. I should know that. I'm going to throw out the extremes. I'll throw out A and D. Let's go $4.2 million. I'll stay with C. Okay, so actually it's B, okay. $2.193 million. For anyone that passes away, if your estate is above that amount, you have to pay taxes to the state on that. Not too bad. Two for three, Katie. Not too yeah. bad. You'll come back soon. Evergreen Golf Call. We love them. Everything wealth. Unfiltered. With the 56th pick. In the 2021 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select Dwayne Eskridge, wide receiver, Western Michigan. And this time, the fake to Tyler, the throw, and room to run. And he could be off to the races. Dwayne Eskridge takes it to the house. Where did that speed come from? They just do snap it. Didn't look like anybody moved. Can he rescue this? Purdy locks it up. Jump ball, and it is intercepted by Trey Brown. Another huge play by the senior from Tulsa. Okay, Seahawks no table time. Brady Henderson, ESPN, Joe Fan, NBC Sports Northwest. Which of you guys had three as the total amount of draft choices that the Seahawks were going to have? Joe, did you have three? Joe, you're shaking your head. You're, you're quiet, Joe. You had three, right? No, I wasn't close. <laughs> I, I, I anticipated the John Schneider trade back uh, parade that didn't happen. And so, uh, to my credit, he tried to trade out of 56. It fell through at the last second. Ruined my pick. My KP. I'm per usual in the water. Brady, you had three, right? Well, Mitch, <laughs> no, I had five, so I was the closest. And you also asked us who, who, what position their first pick is going to play, and I said wide oh, receiver. So yeah, th nice. this should be the segment of the interview where you guys shower me with praise for, <laughs> for getting that right. So I'm still We're waiting. We're all proud of you, Brady. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so l let me ask it to you this way, Brady. Since you got wide receiver right, you thought wide receiver would be their first pick, even though you probably didn't think it would be at 56, you probably would – would have thought it would have been in the 60s or 70s, something mm -hmm. like that. No? No, you thought it was going to be a 56? You didn't think it was a trade I, down? How, did you, how were you getting to five picks? If you, if you were projecting them to have five total picks, how were you getting there if you weren't having them trade 56 well, they down? Could have traded, they could have did what, what they did do, a trade with their, their fourth-round pick, okay. trade, that, trade back and get All that. Right. So. All right. so my question was going to be, if I had said to you, since you think they're going to pick wide receiver – List five wide receivers that you think are a possibility with their 56th overall pick. Well, would, Mitch, you, would you have included D, I call him D, you guys call him Dwayne, D Eskridge? Yeah, you call him D because you guys are tight. Yeah. Um, w there's no need to, to make this a conditional statement. It's not a matter of would I have, it's a matter of did I. Oh. And I did. Oh, where? Check the tapes, <laughs> Mitch. What what tapes? I wrote a story on it. I wrote a Facebook post on it. I'll, I'll really I'll send you. yes. I, I mentioned I mentioned Dwayne Eskridge's name. Nice. As a matter of fact, I did. Nice, yeah. Joe. Do you buy it? Are you buying it, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. I would. Brady would never tell a lie to either of us. Maybe to you, not to me. We're closer <laughs> than that. We're in the trust tree. So right. I believe Brady. All right, Brady, take us behind the scenes. Fifty-six. They tried to trade out. What do we think of the pick? 
Um, where is he going to play? What's the best case scenario? And then, Joe, I'll come to you on on Eskridge versus Freddie Swain. Yeah, they, they did try to trade out of that pick, according to John Schneider, and a, a deal fell through, which is the same thing that happened last year when they picked 27th overall and took Jordan Brooks. That was after a deal, I believe, with the Packers fell through. So you asked me if I thought that they were going to pick at 56. I certainly was not sure of that. Nobody could be sure of that. But that was one reason uh, why I thought everybody, a lot of people seemed to think it was a foregone conclusion that they would trade that pick just because they only had three. The point I made was, one of the points I made was, you just it takes two to trade. And the fact that the 27, you know, the trade out of 27 would be trade out of 27 fell through. It was just a reminder that sometimes those things don't work out. And so anyways, uh, Dwayne Eskridge, uh, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I watched a ton of Western Michigan games. Uh, I did not. So I, 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 I guess I would base my evaluation on him and the other three picks more on the process as opposed to the player and where he fits in their offense. And I think there's a lot to like. I mean, obviously, anybody, any team would want a speed guy like that, a home run hitter. You know, Lewis Riddick, uh, my colleague at ESPN, called him a big play waiting to happen. Wide receiver, I think, was was more of a need than some people seem to think it was. I've, I've seen some post-draft analysis saying that he's a luxury pick because the Seahawks have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And what I want to say to that person is, have you watched NFL football for the last 10 years? It's not like you just <laughs> stick two receivers out there right. uh, and you're good. I mean, and especially in, I mean, the Seahawks and the Rams have been, I looked this up in our database, have been two of the heavier offenses uh, in terms of uh, 11 personnel, so I mean three receivers on the field. And so, you know, it, it makes sense for any team to have a, a really solid number three, but especially a team like uh, the Seahawks that you know because they have been doing it and because they have a former Rams assistant as their new offensive coordinator, you know they're going to be heavy on three receiver sets. I like the fact that it seems like they can get creative with him, and, and creative is kind of this buzzword that maybe we – tend to overvalue it we everybody wants everybody wants the offensive coordinator to get more creative so i'm not saying that's like a necessity but um he does seem like he can be a fun player you know pete carroll talked about you know handing the ball to him uh out of the backfield giving it to him on reverses and flips john schneider when he was talking about d eskridge i'll call him d too (laughs) he stopped himself he was he was about to make like a comparison like he's got he started saying you know he's got a lot of he was going to say so-and-so. He's got a lot of some player to him. Mm-hmm. And he stopped himself because, you know, nobody wants to, like, set expectations and everything. And I really wonder who he was who he was going to say. I wonder if it was maybe Golden Tate uh, or Percy Harvin. Obviously, you could realize why if it was Percy Harvin, why he might have stopped himself. But he seems like a fun player. It's a need for them. And it does sound like, from what we heard from Jim Nagy, that this this was their guy. And, and Jim okay. Nagy made the point that everybody always says that, but it does sound like he was their guy. Jim Nagy's the former Seahawks employee scout, knows Schneider very well, and does the senior bowl. He's also on ESPN. Joe, I promised Eskridge versus Swain for the third wide receiver spot. But before you get there, the Seahawks could have had any center in the draft, right? At 56, there wasn't a center off the board. They could have had... Or am I wrong about that? I no, mean, you're correct. Wrong. Okay. So they could have had conceivably the best center in the draft should they have done that instead of the wide receiver. I'm willing to trust them and give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. I think Ethan Posich, while I was very in favor of them finding a replacement for him, 
he had really good moments and it was his first year as a starting center and he moved they moved him around to his detriment probably and they finally got him back to his natural position and he started the season real well and tapered off at the end and should he find the ability to stay healthy maybe he is the guy and can be a star a, a, you know a, a solid starting center for them um they absolutely needed a wide receiver and freddie swain probably more of just a guy than he is your dynamic wide receiver three that truly does take pressure off of tyler lockett and dk metcalf so to move to that question it's absolutely d eskridge unless he proves he's just not capable of it but he's gonna have every opportunity to be that third wide receiver from the jump and pete carroll again when brady talks about process I think that was a really encouraging part of the draft where Pete Carroll says, hey, we need to have three guys on the field that you have to worry about at all times to where you can't double anybody. And that's going to be important to not be able to double DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett, where you have to always be concerned about Dwayne Eskridge. And you look at what Shane Waldron brings to the table. There's going to be a lot of playing the field horizontally and getting guys in space. And I think he's going to bring a much needed yards after the catch ability. And so the big question about him is how much polish he has. Is he a gadget player or does he have some polish on the route tree? And so that's what we're going to find out here. But he says he's got all three positions under his tool belt and they're hoping to move all three of them around quite a bit under Shane Waldron. Yeah. And going back to the idea of the process there, you know, one of the things that hit Carol and Schneider talked about with Eskridge was his versatility. And, you know, that's probably something that a lot of teams look for in a receiver or just in players in general. But the reason why versatility was important to them, and I'm kind of piecing together what they were saying here, but they, they want to go up-tempo. I think Car- Carroll has played it kind of close to the vest in terms of what that offense is going to look like, but one thing he has let out is that they want to go up-tempo quite a bit there, and uh, when you go up-tempo, you're not substituting receivers. You're not substituting anybody. You're keeping the same personnel on the field because you're trying to put defenses, uh, you're trying to tire them out, you're trying to get them uh, in bad situations personnel-wise. And so you're keeping the same receivers on the field. So the more a receiver like D. Eskridge is on the field, the more those guys have to be able to do. You know, it's not like you bring in uh, some guy, it's your number fourth receiver, because he's really good at doing this one thing that he has to do on this one play. Um, so the the more you can do, I think, the, the, the better you're going to be in that situation. And so uh, that was, I think, one of the reasons why they like D. Eskridge because they feel like he's going to be a, a fit in that specific part of what they want to do on offense. And, and I'm not saying that was the only reason, but um, that was a, what I thought was one interesting reason why they like the versatility. Joe, Trey Brown, is this somebody that you feel like they targeted? They went into the draft. We want Trey Brown out of Oklahoma, all five feet, 10 of them or whatever he is. Uh, we want him to play on the outside or compete on the outside. He's not going to be a slot corner. You've got D.J. Reed, who proved to the Seahawks that a shorter cornerback can now succeed and be productive in their defensive system. Where are you on Trey Brown? What's the best case scenario? I think Trey Brown owes D.J. Reed a big thank you, because if not for D.J. Reed having the success he had last year, they might not view Trey Brown the way they viewed him in this draft. The way you hear John Schneider and Pete Carroll talk about D.J. Reed is the exact same way you hear them talk about Trey Brown. They are very similar in terms of the aggressiveness, the physicality, the dog in them. That's a popular word that that you heard thrown around during draft weekend. Um, Those two guys, again, to to sound maybe younger than I am and try to be cool with the cool kids, they want all the smoke all the time. And um, so, again, 
the fact that DJ Reed was so good and was breaking the mold of what they normally like with the 6'2 plus long arms, um, I think was a huge help. Now, was he their top corner in round four? Who knows? They traded back eight spots and in the process lost out on Robert Rochelle and Marco Wilson, two guys who were more of the prototypes and potentially they had higher which is why it makes you wonder when John Schneider says again at that spot they were able they had the opportunity to trade back and they decided it's not worth risking losing out on uh on Trey Brown makes sense that okay if they lose him maybe they're out of luck and they don't have a corner left on the board that they feel really good about I think it's notable that draft analysts had him projected as a slot they're going to move him to the outside or keep him on the outside that's super notable um and I don't think it's without or out of the realm of possibility that he's starting opposite DJ Reed in week one. I don't think it's a lock that Akella Witherspoon or Trey Flowers beats him out. I think it's very possible that you're looking at two 5, 10, and under corners starting in Seattle in week one, which, man, talk about turning a new leaf um, based on what we know and, and everyone feels about how Seattle looks at corners. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's notable in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I really wonder if that's – out of necessity and, and not really by design. And, and what I mean by that is we heard John Schneider after talking about the Trey Brown pick and, you know, about the fact that he's an undersized guy based on what they like on the outside. And he said, he said, yes, you know, they, they, they always like the longer guys, but it's sometimes it's a matter of what's available there. And I think he was saying that there, there wasn't a big cornerback there. So I, I imagine that they went into this draft if they had their druthers, they would have gotten a bigger guy. I, I'm just assuming. I, I just, I like Joe said. I, I don't know if Trey Brown was a guy that they targeted. Maybe not in the same way that they really targeted D. Eskridge. You know, the other thing about that is, I think the next cornerback that went off the board wasn't taken until 160. That makes me wonder if they were in a situation where once the two guys that Joe mentioned, uh, the guy from Florida and Robert Rochelle, once those guys were gone. Maybe it was a situation where the Seahawks said all the big cornerbacks are gone. There's a big drop off between Trey Brown and the next cornerback. And uh, maybe that next guy might be the bigger guy that they like, but he is they don't have him rated nearly as high. Maybe they maybe they go with maybe that's why they went with Trey Brown. I don't know. Maybe he was a guy that they liked going in. I, I really don't know. It's just interesting that he's not their type of guy. And Schneider made the comment about that really suggests that you can only pick what's there. Real quickly, give me the three starting corners. Brady, give me the three starting corners opening day. Oh, boy. I'm going to go DJ Reed, Akello, Weatherspoon, and then, you know, a mix between Ugo Amadi and Marquise Blair in the slot. I mean, so I Blair, think Blair's a corner now, right? Well, I mean, remember last year, he was, he was, their, he was their big nickelback. He's yeah. not playing on the outside. I'm saying yeah. he's your number three cornerback when, when you're in nickel. Joe, what do you think? I'll go Trey Brown. I'll buy in on the rookie. Why not? I, I, I've seen, I was there in San Francisco when Akello got drafted. And unless he's completely gotten over the roller coaster ride that is his play, his confidence, his mental makeup, all of it. Um, I mean, Akella Witherspoon is sort of like me on the golf course. It can be great one hole and fall apart on the very next tee box. Um, he, you know, he's the guy who's thinking about the three putt on hole four when he's finishing up on 18. Um, that's been his big issue. And he was in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse every other week. So, yeah, they gave him decent money on a one-year prove-it deal. He's got the tools. He is more of the prototype. But I'll go with Trey Brown. Brady, give me, you know, 30 seconds on Stone Forsyth Project. 
going to be a factor right away? Practice squad, right tackle of the future when the shell contract expires. Where are we on this 6'9", 315-pound giant from Florida? Yeah, really big guy. And, and they, you know, we've been talking about, you know, theorizing about how much they really wanted a guy versus whether it was a sort of a, a guy that they just had to take there. He sound, they sound like they really, really wanted him. John Schneider was talking about how he wanted to trade up for Stone Forsyth right around pick number 190, and they didn't get him until 208. And so uh, sounds like really a guy that they targeted. He's 6'8". He even admitted himself, and you don't hear prospects say this a lot. He admitted himself that he needs to work on his run blocking. Uh, didn't really do a ton of that in a Florida offense that was pretty pass-heavy. And so I think the challenge, and Pete Carroll said this, is you know when you're talking about a guy who's 6'9", I think leverage is, is going to be an issue. Um it's not like they need to stick him in there right away. He can learn on the practice squad. Uh, I think oh boy, he is more likely to be that swing tackle who was active on game days and is the, the primary backup at both spots. But um, you can stick Forsyth on your practice squad. And, and as Pete Carroll mentioned, he's got a very good guy to learn from in, in Dwayne Brown. I gave both of you a chance, and you both passed. I gave Joe Fan and Brady Henderson a chance with the starting cornerbacks, the three to say Richard Sherman's name, <laughs> and both of you went with the guys that are currently on the roster. Is that to, to mean that, Brady, you think a lot of this talk about Richard Sherman during the draft days? Pete Carroll says, I talk to him all the time. And John Schneider says he'll always be a Seahawk. A bunch of nothing or something? I don't think it was indicative of any sort of strong – and Pete Carroll even said afterwards they're, they're not looking for a veteran cornerback right now. He said that he also didn't – you know, he also didn't shoot down the possibility. We know that they always look. We know that injuries could come up. And, and I think an important thing to note there is they did say that – and it was clear from what they were talking about that the relationship is, is on a lot better terms than I think what a lot of people would have assumed based on – based on how it looked when it ended. And so I, I made this point last time. I think the, the it would it's kind of a sticky situation when you consider Wilson's history with Sherman and the recent drama that they are just maybe coming out of with Wilson. I, I, I just wonder if if that would risk undoing the goodwill that they've they've built back up and uh, it maybe it would give the quarterback another reason to to be unhappy. Joe? I don't think it happens. Okay. No, I think there's an interest. I think another team will offer him more money. And then there, there is what's to come. What's next for the Seahawks? Uh, Joe, you want to take a shot at Jamal Adams. It's been very quiet. Negotiations have been very quiet. We all just figure that Jamal Adams, there's no way he's starting the season with one year left on his contract. What do you think happens there? I'm going to be fascinated to see how it plays out. John Schneider was steadfast when I asked him prior to the draft that he's a part of the future. We're excited about him being a cornerstone of this defense for years to come, but they still got to agree on a number, and so far they haven't. And that clearly those negotiations have been happening behind closed doors because nothing has been leaked to the public of where they're at, whether they're far apart, whether they're close. Um, but it doesn't feel like at this point, I mean, it doesn't make sense to trade to him because the draft has come and gone and you missed your opportunity to potentially recoup some draft capital. Um, but this is definitely a potential holdout situation. And until 
you hear sign seal delivered it's done that potential is going to exist and the storyline is only going to continue to blow up as time goes on and august uh, ticks closer here with the beginning of training camp getting closer i don't think there is a chance in hell am i allowed to say hell on mitch unfiltered sure it's unfiltered i i there's not a chance in hell he takes one practice rep in August with the risk of doing any damage to anything yep. without a new contract on that fifth year option. I, I you know, I'm not, I, I, I agree with a lot of that, but I don't know f- for a fact. And I don't know if anybody knows for a fact if, if that they have been negotiating. And so I think it's easy to look at it one way and say, well, they haven't made any progress and start to worry about what might happen there. But we don't know that they even have started negotiating. And when I, checked on this earlier in the offseason. I think I've mentioned this before. Yeah, th- there was a lot of confidence in the organization that they would get a deal done at some point this offseason, but there was no timetable on that. And, you know, the person I spoke with said he didn't know if it was going to be before the draft, after the draft. And typically when when you're talking about extensions for guys who are already under contract for another season with the Seahawks, typical timetable is well after the draft. Well, Russell Wilson a couple years ago was – that was not the case because he set the April 15th deadline. Tyler Lockett this year uh, was not the case. I think that was more motivated. That was more driven by the fact that you know they needed the salary cap space created by that extension. So the fact that we haven't heard anything about it, that could just mean that they haven't started on negotiations at this point. What's the next shoe? Is the, is the shoe to fall? Is that the right expression? I don't even know. I think know it's that. shoe to drop. Okay. What's the next shoe to drop, Brady? Linebacker is is one position that comes to mind. Uh, they obviously didn't draft any linebackers, not that anybody expected them to with so few picks. They signed one guy, uh, John Radigan, at Army as an undrafted free agent. So even with John Radigan, there's five, lineback- five true linebackers uh, on the roster, and so they've got work to be done there. I think I would say they have work to be done there even if, even if something happens with K.J. Wright. The guys they have right now are Bobby Wagner, Jordan Brooks, Cody Barton, Ben Burkirvan, and the undrafted rookie. And, and Ben Burkirvan, you know, no disrespect to him. He's, he's not a guy that's going to factor into, the, into their defensive rotation. He, he's a special teams guy, a very good special teams guy, but he's not, gonna, he's not a guy that I think they want on the field there. And so there's work to be done there. I said this before. I, I don't think the door is closed by any means on K.J. Wright. Pete Carroll told us the other day that uh, they had a conversation um, and again, if that happens, it's going to be on the Seahawks' terms and not on KJ Wright's terms. Joe, are there any good football players floating around without a team that you've got your eye on? I think the biggest names are the names that KJ Wright and Richard Sherman. I mean, those are the those are okay. the ones that okay. you're curious about. I mean, I think there another former Seahawk who is looking for a new home is Golden Tate, and they could still look for receiver depth in in the in the free agent market. Um, but to me. I agree. It's the linebacker market, and, and I, I don't know offhand what the free agents are out there outside of KJ Wright. Um, but to me, that's an obvious move that still needs to be made, and I don't think a move is made there until KJ Wright makes a decision, um, because I think that's priority number one if they can find a way to afford him and if he brings his price down for Seattle. These guys do a hell of a job. You guys have done a hell of a job on the draft, and I'm saying that for a couple of reasons. A, because I believe it, and B, because you're on the show, so I feel obliged to say it. Yeah, you have to say that. Yeah, I kind of have to say that. And uh, no Torah references from Brady Henderson on this episode of the the Seahawks No Table with Brady Henderson of ESPN.com and Joe Fan of NBC Sports Northwest. We love you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. 
Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. Hey, back with us on Mitch Unfiltered is John Waterstrap, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, not to mention the presenting sponsor of our fun March Madness Bowl. Thank you for that, John, by the way. Give us an update. What's the latest at Fireside? Well, thanks, Mitch. It's great to be back and just kind of talking to your listeners. And uh, it's been great. The Puget Sound area is starting to open itself back up. And I still think that the whole remodel, people wanting to do something to their home continues to get people pouring into our showrooms. And we feel very, very blessed to be able to help them in any way we can. We want to have your team over to the house to come up with a solution outside. We want to put a new fire pit out there. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. Well, tell us about that arm, the fire pit arm of the fireside business. Yeah, it's a great complementary business to our fireplace business. People want that nice, warm feeling outside, so uh, it's it's done well. So people want to extend those areas outside, so we're able to put a fireplace for a nice living room area outside, or we can do that gathering space under a fire pit. So again, we can do up to uh, fireplaces, fire pits, and we could even provide you heaters outside, extend those uh, chilly nights in the Northwest to a longer period of time outside. Perfect. And while the name is Fireside Home Solutions, you guys introduced Garage Doors, a Garage Doors layer to your business not too long ago. Tell us why you did that and how it's been. Uh, we were able to have an opportunity to uh, purchase one of our competitors. He was doing fireplaces and garage doors. He wanted to retire, so we were able to kind of blend our two companies together. We looked at that garage door business and we said, wow, what a great complimentary business to fireplaces. Creating that warm, cozy feeling inside was that same feeling that people wanted to do on the outside to add to that curb feel of their home. It's one of those things when neighbors drive by and they look at your house like, wow, what happened to that house? And to add that nice curb feel both outside now and then inside the home and having that warm cozy place it's it's pretty exciting to have both of those pieces of our business well it's exciting for us to be partnered with fireside home solutions for the last few years we're really thrilled and privileged to have you aboard we love you firesidehomesolutions.com hey it's time for a visit with dan black the president of zeke's pizza hey dan hey mitch things seem to be moving in the right direction for you guys at zeke's you're expanding both in dining room capacity and locations yeah i gotta tell you it feels good to have some normalcy coming back i think everybody's experiencing it not just at zeke's i actually got stuck in traffic the other day it actually felt good uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's people out and about and that includes at zeke's in the dining rooms and it's um you know it's just fun to have people back in in our dining rooms and just being out and the new locations coming where yeah so we mentioned bellingham uh, we're on track for late spring, early summer there. We're really excited about that one. Yep. Uh, we've also mentioned stuff like Seward Park, Mount Lake Terrace, White Center, Burien. So those are those are all in the pipeline and, uh, and more coming even after that. All right, so what's the Black family having delivered to their door these days in terms of pizza and beer? Yeah, <laughs> last time you asked me this, I got in trouble because <laughs> I went right into how the whole family was drinking Hot Tropic. So for the record, Georgia is not drinking Hot Tropic. But uh, the whole family's eating Cherry Bomb pizza. That's that's one of our classics, and it's it's a fave out there, and it's definitely one of the Black family's uh, favorites. Uh, and then the beer right now is Moon Booter IPA. We brew it together with Old School House Brewery out of Winthrop and it's it's just a really tasty West Coast IPA that you can you can drink a lot of or just sip it if you want but it's it's really good. How's uh, the delivery arm of the business doing Dan? It's good it's still strong it's uh, as people dine out more there's 
uh, slightly less delivery and takeout, but what we make up for both in sales and then just excitement of having people back is totally worth it. Download the Zeke's Pizza app and have Zeke's to your door in no time. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. So this is what we call episode 140, the other stuff segment. People are asking me now, stop with Richard Gould. We don't want to hear about Richard Gould oh, anymore. okay. Yeah. So we're not officially going to call it. This is not his segment as we nah, used to. I, guess uh, I think it's the segment of the guy from Sacramento now. It's the guy that lived in Fife. Remember he wrote oh. it. Was that 139P or was that 139? I can't remember. I don't all, know. They all run together they now. They sure do, Yes. <laughs> Other stuff segment. What do you got? An go English, ahead, you go first. An English professional golfer broke a Guinness World Record when he hit a ball 303 yards into a car driven by a BMW touring car driver. This is a new record. He huh? literally he hits a ball off a tee, and he's aiming it to get it in, inside of a car that, that's moving. What's he, trying to make TikTok fame? Well, he did because the old distance was 273 <laughs> yards. 303 yards, and he aimed it perfectly into, into a the, moving vehicle? Into a moving car. There's video of it. You're welcome I to go I can't even it. see a moving car that's 303 yards away from me. <laughs> exactly right. Well, the pair said it took him multiple attempts, including right. one that broke the vehicle's windshield. So go check out that video. It's pretty cool. Okay. Since you're on golf, I'll hang with you on golf. Want my golf one? Sure. All right. You know how Twitter can be brutal. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. How about how brutal do you think Twitter can be when gamblers who lose money on individual athletes start tweeting those individual athletes because of their performance? How, yeah. bru- how brutal do you think that is? Yeah, whenever money's involved. There's a golfer named Taylor Gooch. I like that name. Okay. Taylor Gooch. Remember the Gooch from the Gooch. different strokes? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What you talking about, Willis? Oh, yeah. Came home with the, the lunchbox would be like a pancake. Oh, my God. I always wanted – they never was, showed the Gooch. No, huh? I was scared oh. shitless of the so, Gooch. So was I. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back little Gary Coleman. There's Taylor Gooch. Okay. Well, he, uh, he missed the cut at this past weekend's uh, PGA event in Tampa, outside of Tampa, and he made the mistake of getting on Twitter after he, as you would call it, trunk slammed on Friday. Okay. He went back to his hotel, he got on Twitter, and he heard it from all the people that bet on him to make the cut or bet on him to win. You son of a bitch. Yeah. You're the worst. Three bogeys, man. You suck. You know, just go to hell. God, people are the worst. And, and he wrote back to a couple of them, what'd you do, lose money on me? And they're like, yeah, exactly, oh. 50 bucks. He started Venmoing everybody their money back. Come on. <laughs> he did? <laughs> oh, did I say 50? I meant I bet 50,000 on you. <laughs> Yep. Wow, good for him. He spent Friday evening Venmoing different tweeter, Twitters, tweeters, whatever yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, whatever. Their money back to try to get on people's good side. That's a rough precedent to start. You better be <laughs> careful there. Better be a fantasy football. Hey, you guys take there it very go. serious. You better be careful. You got a golfer hitting a golf ball 303 yards into a, into a, uh, a, a window car. and yeah. a moving car. I've got Taylor Gooch. I love it. Good for him. Go ahead. Charles Manson's original booking sheet following his arrest for the Manson family murders is up for sale. If any anybody's into the creepy kind of collectible, the booking yeah. docs are two pages long. They list his physical details along with his hometown, Cincinnati, spelled incorrectly, his address, <laughs> transient, his occupation, musician. He was no musician. But most notably, the fact that he was arrested for robbery and homicide and was facing seven counts of murder. Oh, shit. Well, yeah, the Manson, I mean, you remember the Manson family murder. So he... An asking price of starting at $95,000, it looks like, for 
his original booking sheet, the two pages from the police from the from his arrest. Also, Kobe wow. Bryant's earliest known game worn L.A. Lakers jersey. Yes, during his '96 rookie season. Yes, going on the auction block. Could rake in over five hundred thousand. I, I read something that I really wanted to cover, and we never got a guess for it. Did you see that the 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 Kobe Bryant estate or his wife or yeah. whomever they've cut ties with Nike? Did you did you read that article? I did. Yeah. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I, I don't know. What either. does that mean? They stop Nike stops producing Kobe Bryant shoes, but what about all the other shoes? Can they not sell? I don't know. Well, I, I know that. How they, does that work? They came out with their own line called Mambasita. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Mambasita? No, no. So maybe that's why. Maybe oh. they just said we don't need Nike. We'll just do it ourselves because you know everything Kobe's hot. I mean, I thought he, that was an interesting story. Steph Curry was head to toe in Mambasita stuff oh, before really? a game. Really? Jimmy Kimmel and Mambasita. Yeah, so may, like maybe it. that's why they cut ties. I don't. Well, couldn't guessing. Nike do Mambasita? Yeah, maybe, but then they're going to yeah. want their cut, and she's like, we'll just yeah. take it all. So there you go. Medina Spirit. Mean anything to you? Medina Spirit. No. The Kentucky Derby winner, Hotshot. Ah, yes. At 12 to 1, 12 or 13 to 1, Medina Spirit takes the Kentucky Derby. That's seven derbies for your friend trainer Bob Baffert. Still doing it. Seven Kentucky, Derny, Kentucky Derbies. Um, the favorite was Essential Quality. Now, let me tell you why Essential Quality was the favorite. Okay. There's actually a story behind it. All right. Essential Quality went off as they favored a 5-2 to two because, oh, let's put it this way. There was $7 million, I believe, bet total on him to win Essential Quality. Okay. Which brought his number down to 5.5 to 2 or 2.5 to 1. Mattress Mac. Oh, no, he's back. Bet $2.5 million <laughs> on Essential Quality. <laughs> And that's why he was the favorite. If you took Mattress Mac's wager yeah. out, okay. he would not have been the favorite. There'd been another horse. He that affected was the, the line completely, all by himself. Completely <laughs> impacted the line all by Mattress Mac. He's and back. He's a loser. He, I mean, he's the loser in this case. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's but he's he, but he's never really a loser. He somehow hedges it with his with his business, yeah, or yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if he did this. No, all sure right, some fine. some things you never forget, even if you're losing your memory. Just ask an elderly Tennessee couple who broke out of an assisted living facility using Morse code. So it's it's a husband and wife, each of whom have reportedly suffered from either dementia or Alzheimer's. Yeah, they were able to successfully escape from a secure memory unit in March. <laughs> Jesus, I know, out in the city of Lebanon, Tennessee, all because the husband somehow was able to conjure his military experience. According to the the newspaper, the guy would listen in on staffers as they punched in the security key for the front doors. Just the sound of it, for whatever reason, he managed to figure out the exact combo using his trained Morse code ear. <laughs> it appears they hatched a plan together and walked out on a. Two Tuesday, having gone undetected and unaccounted for for 30 minutes or so, but they walked back and I guess that they made their way back in one piece in the hospital or the, the facility has been a small fine from the state. That reminds me of a movie and this is going to fall flat because I'm not going to be able to tell you the movie details enough for you to remember. And then we're just going to go down to the next story and say, what the hell did we just do? <laughs> but I'll try. There was a movie many, many years ago about a group from an insane asylum. Okay. It was a comedy that got out on okay. the town. Do you have any memory? I just I can tell you one of the guys that was in it because the the opening scene was crazy. I, was it called Breakfast Club? Was it no? Well, no, was there it? was a movie called Breakfast yeah. Club, but not about insane people. Well, so the guy Christopher Lloyd. Do you remember Christopher Lloyd? Yeah, Back to the Future guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Big tall doctor. Yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever is. Um, great Scott, that guy. That guy, yeah. He was he was one of the group, 
And I don't know why your story just reminded me of them. They broke out. They <laughs> yeah. went to baseball games. And they just did things. It was a very funny story. It was a long, long time ago. And the reason that I, the reason that I, I, I bring up Christopher Lloyd is because the opening scene of the movie where you don't, you don't really know much about any of the characters yet because it's the opening scene, shows the group getting together in a room, okay. all these people that have issues, and he walks in, he's got like a white coat, and he starts leading. He's the doctor, and he starts, you know, he starts leading the conference, the, the meeting, the yeah. chat. And he's going around, and he's leading it. For about five or six or seven minutes, he's leading the chat, Christopher Lloyd. And then all of a sudden, the door swings open, and the real doctor comes in and goes, not again, would you sit down? <laughs> nice. And you don't know. As <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're watching like, oh, my God. Right. <laughs> Was it so the funny. dream team? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Dream Team, maybe. I just looked at my looked it up really quick, but I, is he in it? Nineteen eighty nine. Sounds right. Yeah, is he in it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's called the Dream Team. I, I don't have internet, but I looked on my phone. Off the check. Would you out. go? Would you stop talking like you're the sit down. He goes and he sits down in the, <laughs> and he's one of the guys. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> Not funny. again. I'll have to watch it. I haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah. All right, we talked about Craig Carton. I guess we don't need to really bring it up anymore, but he, he just said, your mom has become the lead story, and I say that re that respectfully because people are like, the star of the first round of the draft is Mrs. Wilson because she's a very attractive woman. He went on, and I'm just wondering how awkward that is for you that you just got picked second overall in the draft, and the focus is, wow, his mom is really hot. So he, he came under fire. People didn't like that he said no, that. No, He's He dug in saying, I didn't say she's hot. I asked how awkward it was having a mom that people are saying that about so i don't know i'm not think? really offended by it i, no. I mean i no. don't it doesn't really bother me did but. you hear him answer it no yeah it was a very quick answer it, i'm sure yeah yeah like something like well we love her she's been she's been supportive <laughs> moving on <laughs> there you go following up a story that i had on 139p or maybe it was 139 uh elon musk is set to host this coming saturday's saturday night live yeah the third wealthiest guy, and what did I tell you about his, what's controversial about his appearance on Saturday Night Live? Did I tell you anything about well, that? Well, you said some of the cast members are not happy about it. The cast members are not happy, some of them, yeah. about it. They don't like Elon Musk, and they certainly don't want CEOs as hosts or what have you. The New York Post is now reporting, Hotshot, you'll be glad to know, that Lorne Michaels has issued a proclamation that no cast member needs to appear in a sketch. If you're uncomfortable and you don't want to appear in a sketch yeah. with Elon Musk, so be it. You're okay. excused. I hope they have enough to do a show. From what I'm hearing, <laughs> people are pissed off. By the way, how did he get to third richest, by the way? Was it, wasn't he in like... He was number one at one point. But wasn't Tesla kind of struggling for a while? Oh. And Go back and look at the history of that stock. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he, done. He's done very well for himself. The fella, uh, the fella's doing great. He's got his own NASA, for God's sake. So he's got that space. Hopefully, he can buy some respect from the Saturday Night Live castmates. <laughs> we'll see. Now, who's not going to watch this? Right? I'm watching. I mean, of course, you have to. Now, see I what now I'm getting a little skeptical, cynical. Like this is all a put on, it's true. and then we're going to turn it on, and they're going to be make fun in the monologue. They're going to be make fun of about people uh. who apparently don't like. Is this a whole? advertising campaign to get us to watch they're definitely gonna hit on it in his monologue right about how no think, one wants him there you would think i'll be watching yeah i'll be watching too <laughs> okay, okay all right you want a quick update on a story we did yeah previous? that's it i only have one more and it's really not much of a story so la county district You're attorney the name uh named five suspects who were charged for their alleged roles in the shooting of lady gaga's dog walker 
You remember that story? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they got five people in yeah. custody. The alleged culprits were arrested on a variety of charges, including attempted murder and robbery. They were arrested on Thursday. Uh, we were, and cops have that video where, dog, where the dogs were dropped off in an alley days after, and it became key evidence in hunting down the alleged criminals. So I'm glad they, they caught those guys. That guy somehow lived, that dog walker. He's just shot at point blank range in the chest. And then you see a picture of him at the hospital, like recovering. So anyway, I'm happy they caught those guys. You see Bryce Harper take one to the nose? I did. The schnoz. Woo. Thank God it wasn't me. Oh. <laughs> you, we don't need your nose swelling. We got a bleeder. <laughs> I mean, we're laughing. That could have been awful. Yeah, it's awful. A 97 mile an hour pitch. I think it like, I, I don't know. I don't know how he, why he didn't get out of the one. Maybe because it's 97 miles an hour, but hit him right on the nose. And then that same pitcher hit a guy in the ribs. Right after him, and then there was the, the manager, uh, was Joe Girardi. Yeah. You can see him walking off. He's, he gets thrown out of the game. Yeah. And as, he, as he's walking off, he, he, I could see him yell, throw the ball over the effing plate. <laughs> as he yells. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, the Cardinal manager, what's his name? Uh, Mike Schilt yelled back. And anyway, a mess. So I'm glad Bryce Harper's okay. That was pretty I'm glad ugly. too. Disneyland too. is operating at limited capacity, and people are losing their minds. You see pictures of this? Like, they're letting people in for the first time in, what, like 412 days? People were in tears. People are crying. Employees are crying. Did you know there's this whole weird underbelly of adults who love Disneyland? Did you no. know it? I just it's know so that my weird. kids don't love it. I they got the only kids in America that don't love Disneyland. I think. They don't like theme parks or Disneyland specifically? And especially Brett. Brett, like, if you said to him, Brett, let's go trip on me, Disneyland, mm -hmm. he would be like, no. Really? He wants no part of Disneyland. Doesn't like rides. Okay, if you don't like rides. That no, just yeah. doesn't want it. Okay. The, the, one, the one memory that I do have about Disneyland that I, I think you're touching on, I don't know, tell me the rest of the story. Maybe it'll... That, that's really it. The people were like... Losing their minds, good or bad? Oh, good. No, they're, they're crying. Like, I can't because believe I, I get to You go don't back. have to stand in line. Well, no, just that oh, it's open. They, oh, I 412 see. 412 days. I'm telling you, there's a whole... There might even be a documentary about this yeah. subculture of adults yeah. who all communicate. They love going to Disneyland as adults. It's weird. I have two Disney memories. One's at Disney World, because I grew up near Disney World, yeah. the, the real Disney. That's the knockoff one. Go on. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, and I do remember there was senior night that every year, at least when I was going to high school, 1985. Oh, pretty cool senior night. June, June 19, all seniors... Gotten buses and went to and it was closed to seniors. Oh, it's so cool! And you would think, God, there's a lot of seniors in in Florida. I mean, every high school seniors are going to really not. You you'd be amazed at how huh. you could get on rides and get right back on rides and no lines and it was it was great. And then the other the other memory I have is when I did take the kids once when they were young, we we all went and we we stayed at one of the hotels that's on the property in Orlando. Like the no no this is Disneyland. Oh God, yeah yeah, there's one on the property. It's cool. It's a Disneyland hotel. Yeah. It's great. No, there's three or three or four. I there's, think we stayed at the Grand something, but it doesn't okay. matter. And the same thing goes for all, all the hotels, I think. If you stay in a hotel, you can go onto the premises an hour before it opens you to sure regular. Can. Yep. And? I just remember when that hour was up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I felt like I was in the bulls of Pamplona, like the running with the bulls. I was <laughs> right. like, holy shit, we're going to get killed. <laughs> Run for cover. It was people. Right. Madhouse. When yeah. they when they open the gates to the public, oh. holy shit! I I I thought it should be one of those little guys with the white the white chef's hat running from the bulls hanging from the tree yeah, limb. Totally. Holy god! Yeah, people love it. I <laughs> thought it was gonna. I, I thought I'd never see the day. It was unbelievable. Yeah, you got spoiled with that hour having to. God, we were in there for an hour. We're hanging out, and then I was like, uh, I was like, you know, what what time is it? 
Oh, my God. I see what time it is. Duck. Yes. It was like people are just crazy. The unwashed masses people come flying in. People get trampled and everything. I don't, how do people not oh, die in that orbit? I know. People love Disneyland. I mean, I like it, too. I'm not some Grinch over here. but No, I do, too. I do too. I enjoy it. I, I'm not a ride guy, but I like the mis- the mystique about it. Yeah, exactly. I like I like the feel of it. I'm a huge. Uh, it's a small world guy. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that. that. I love that ride. Um, the mystique is cool because I heard that there's, there's just something about Disney. Yeah, I mean, my kids don't get. It was they don't a, get it a big orange. It was like a big orange grove when he built it. Like it was just like yeah. And yeah. It's, it's just kind of cool the history. And I, I read that there's just a cute. basketball hoop inside the Matterhorn, like the secret basketball court. Don't know. Which I think is cool because. I think they wanted to build that ride so high, but there was a city ordinance, unless it's like a, an arena. Oh, so they, put a, they put a hoop in to get around the... Yeah. I love that kind of stuff, Yeah, if in fact that's true. I do true. too. Yeah. I'm a little sad that we haven't had lots of trips to Disney. My kids just don't dig it. Huh. Yeah. Piper does, so you're welcome to take it. Want to go to Disney? Nah, I'd rather stay home on my phone. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly... That, that's how you know you've made it in life when you're turning down Disney, a trip to Disney. No, I'm good. Hey, we're going. Let's go. We're going to Disney World. Hold on. I'll be there in a second. I'm playing Minecraft. Yeah, I know. Ugh. Yeah. Piper still likes it. Thank God. Oh, good. Yeah, she, she's good. still into that stuff. Yeah. All right. So you have one more or no? Well, I was going to ask you who you'd rather have dinner with, Alex Rodriguez or Ben Affleck. Oh, that is blowhard on blowhard crime right there. I don't know if I could do either of them. Ah, that, I don't know. J-Lo's hanging with Ben Affleck now. I saw that. They, yeah. they claim just friends. I mean, well, they used it. to date. They did. They yes. were the original. They're Benefer. Was it Benefer? Right. Benefer. Right. Yeah. The original attachment or combining two names. Yeah. 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 So just uh, as soon as the thing was ending with um, A Rod, <laughs> she's hanging out with Ben Affleck. And yeah. I was thinking, I, I don't know. Uh, I know. <laughs> I don't at know. At least A Rod, you can talk sport. I know. Actually, he Could likes, you though? Uh, yeah, I don't know. He'd He's, be looking at his phone too. He, <laughs> especially with us. He's a robot though. He's just a robot. Oh. Yeah, you can't really have conversation with him. I don't know. Ben Affleck's been famous for so long. He's probably just ugh. Yeah. No. Maybe Ben Affleck is cooler than you think. Maybe. Matt Damon a lot of, seems pretty cool. Ben Affleck's had a lot of problems. Yeah. You know, he struggled with sobriety. Yeah. Likes Maybe. to gamble. Like sports. Yeah. I think he likes sports more than A-Rod likes sports. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> A-Rod liked him because it made him rich. He I'm didn't done. really like playing him. Last story. You got it. Two quick RIPs before okay. I get to my last yeah. story. Uh, remember Olympia Dukakis, that name? Of course. Name? I, I saw that she passed away over the weekend. Yeah, Oscar-winning actress. She was, the, she was the cousin of Michael Dukakis. Hey, nice work. Yes. The one-time presidential candidate. Yep. She was also in... Uh, she was in something with Deborah Winger. Was She in, She was an Academy Award nominee or winner for well, I think she not won, Steel Magnolia, something like she Steel was Magnolia. in Steel Magnolia. Oh she was. Yeah, yeah but she won the yeah. Oscar I am pretty sure for Moonstruck. Okay. She played well, Cher, Cher's mom. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. How am I doing on my Olympia Dukakis? Yeah, better than I thought you Trivia. would do. Holy shit. Who knew? You Fred look. and Burian stumped the band. <laughs> Olympia Dukakis <laughs> trivia. Oh stand back everybody. I got I this. I got it. <laughs> Well, she was. Uh, she'll be missed after us laughing the whole time. But no, sir, she was. She was lovely. She was actually. funny too. She had like lovely. comedy chops. And she, 80, how how old? Eighty nine years yeah, old. Yeah. And then Anne Biden's, I think, is how you pronounce. She married no. Kirk Douglas in nineteen fifty three. Is Kirk Kirk still alive? Kirk is not alive. He passed away in Just February recently. of two thousand twenty at okay. hundred and three. She passed away at one hundred and two. I mean, that's a uh, wow. Nineteen fifty three. 
that's when they they met. I mean, think about how long. That's 67 years. Oh, I guess it was like 65 or whatever. 65 years. To, and that's not even Michael's mom, by the way. No? No. So he was married to someone oh. before that. So anyway, rest in peace to Michael or not to Kirk Douglas's wife, okay. Anne. Okay. All right. Madison Kohout, 19, was moving from Oklahoma to Arkansas and was searching for a two-bedroom apartment online. You know, you just go online and, hey, I'll take it. After finding a super spacious apartment that was listed at $350 a month, she signed the lease without looking at it in person and moved in days later. While she found it kind of odd that her neighbors were all over 65 years of age, it didn't click until a week after her move when she noticed the retirement home sign outside her building. <laughs> Dumbass. So for those wondering if there's a minimum age requirement to live in the building, she told Newsweek that while the apartments are designed for seniors, they are equal opportunity housing, meaning they don't discriminate based on age. I got to have her on the show. I, I, Okay, we got to get her on the show. She made a video about name? it. Madison what? It's a Madison Kohout. K-O-H-O-U-T. We have to have her on the show. It's crazy, right? All I mean, apologies to Richard Gold. We have <laughs> yes, to have exactly. her on the show. Okay, how long was she there? No, she lives there. She still lives there. I, I, from what oh, I, I thought you were going to tell me, okay, all right, so she still lives she there. She just moved in. Okay. She said it was like hectic. I got a new job. I'm trying, didn't even like, dawn, just needed a place to live. Right. It didn't even dawn on her till she's, she's playing bingo this. every night. Exactly. It didn't even like dawn on her at all. Yeah. Oh. So she still lives there from everything it's I great. saw. Great. I got to have her on. Yeah. I mean, for her, though, it's. They'll like, even have a landline. I'll, I'll <laughs> get, get her on. She can go to her neighbors and use the landline, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. It's, it's not all bad. Um, at least young people have something in common with the old people's dentures. They both come out at night. Hey, at 19 years old, at least you're surrounded by a ton of people who are old enough to buy beer. That's an upside. One of her new neighbors. Oh, was, she's 19. Oh, my God. 19. Oh, right. we got to have her on. Okay. One of her new neighbors Please. was quoted as saying, you know, those millennials always walking around like they rent the place. <laughs> Good line. I like that. Living in an entire. I like that, hot Living in an entire neighborhood filled with nothing but senior citizens, or as Mitch Levy calls it, heaven. This is your dream come true. You need to go move to a senior center. You can tell old stories and, you know, you would love it more than anything. That's it. I'm done. That's the it one. was going so That's swell. That's the one. I, I leave Florida out of it. You do love old people, though. You, you know that. We've discussed this. You have an affinity for me. Everybody sweet. loves old people. Well, some more than others, yeah. though, I think. Yeah. The number of people that love old people is the number of people that say avocado. Not avocado. Oh, okay, well, that would be everybody except for one. <laughs> yeah, on both. Okay. On both. <laughs> All right, we're going to get Madison on. I'll, I'll send you her in. Please. Yeah. Please call her and book her on the show. Crazy. Steve, if you're listening, put the Twitter down. <laughs> yes, put the Twitter down. And get Madison, whatever her last name is, on the show. We have to talk about a 19-year-old living in a... Where, where is this happening? Let's see, she moved from Oklahoma to Arkansas, so somewhere in Arkansas. That and is fantastic. She made a point of saying that it, she couldn't believe the apartment was really cheap, and it was super spacious. It was nice. I smell a movie. She, well, I smell a screenplay about this. That's what she said. This could be like a sitcom. Oh, no, it doesn't have to be a sitcom. I think a, a major motion picture. Yeah. All anyway. right, let's, let's write it. There you go. All right, enough's enough. Episode 140. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being a supporter of Mitch Unfiltered. We hope that you're enjoying the show. Yes. A quick update on the uh, music one for the patrons. Yeah. It's mixed down. Yeah. And I went to listen to it. Yeah. For a little QC. Yeah. And in 10 minutes what in. What does QC mean? Quality control to make sure there's no mistakes. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Ten, 10 minutes in, I had to pull. I, I said the same line back to back. I, I sometimes do like three versions. 
So I had to go pull that five seconds. Anyway, it should be up within the next couple and of we, days. And we want to know this why. We want to know that you had to pull the, well, the line it, out why. I really wanted to post it as we record on it Sunday night. It took you night. so much time to take the five-second line out? Well, it's a big puzzle. So when you take oh. something out at the beginning, it screws everything else up. You know what I'm saying? You pull five seconds out. Now you got to push everything back five oh, seconds. Oh, you got to have a little button that I've got. It does it for you. Well, the program does it for you. Well, no, but I, no, no, it couldn't do it for me. It doesn't know where, no, no, it doesn't have my ear. It doesn't know where all those pieces. As I was about to say, episode 140. (laughs) It's coming though. It's what I'm saying. It's coming. There's a lot of people that are saying, why could it have been in the books 35 seconds ago? (laughs) Episode 140 (laughs) is in the books. (laughs) 